It's time for Twit This Week in Tech. Jason Heiner is here. Devendra Hardawar is here. Harry McCracken is here. We're going to get Gary Harry to explain the story of the 1981 basic program he wrote that had a bug that he finally fixed 40 years later. Then we'll talk about the Apple iPhone announcements and what to expect and what not to expect. Plus, Microsoft Surface announcements. Will there be anything exciting coming this Wednesday? There is a lot to talk about, and I've got some great people to do it. Stay tuned. Twit is next. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit. This Week at Tech. Episode 841, recorded Sunday, September 19th, 2021. Dancing Bullwinkle. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Nareva. Nareva is revolutionizing audio for meeting and learning spaces by making it possible to get full-room microphone coverage in medium-to-large spaces without the cost and complexity of a multi-component pro-AV solution. That's a revolution. Learn more at Nareva.com slash twit. And by Wealthfront. To get your first $5,000 managed for free for life, go to Wealthfront.com slash twit and start growing your savings today. And by Podium. Today's customers expect on-demand everything, even from local businesses. Stay ahead of the competition with Podium. Free plans for growing businesses, plus all the power growing businesses need to scale. Get started free today at Podium.com slash twit. And by CrowdStrike. CrowdStrike harnesses the power of every click, every action, and every ally to grow stronger and stop cyber threats before they can stop you. Join the fight and experience the power of Falcon Platform free today at CrowdStrike.com slash twit. It's time for Twit This Week in Tech, the show where we cover the week's uh, tech news. And I thought I'd bring in the senior accomplished journalist for this one because there's nothing to talk about except Apple. So <laughs> we got some we got some heavy hitters. Devendra Hardwar joins us. He is senior editor at Engadget, now in Atlanta, Georgia. Hi, hello, Devendra. Hello, hello. I'm right outside of Atlanta, but it is, uh, you know, I, I can reach it. It's really close. You're just, just an arm's length from Atlanta. And uh, Devendra is always a, a welcome guest now in his uh, new Atlanta basement. <laughs> yes, it's, it's nice to have a basement. It's better than a two-bedroom apartment in Brooklyn. Yeah. This is a first because I think normally we have people in Brooklyn, you know, we usually have two or three people in Brooklyn. It's the first time we've had two people in the southeast because joining us from Louisville, Kentucky, Jason Heiner. He is editorial director at CNN. Hi, Jason. Hey. So since we're all seniors, do we get like a 20% discount? <laughs> yeah. Ooh, I don't mean okay. seniors in age. I mean senior journalists. You're all oh, yeah. important, oh, right. important people now. Well, we can't. Lindsay Turrentine won't come on anymore. She says, I don't do journalism anymore. I'm all administrative. So at some point you get, you know, it's the Peter principle. You're going to get pushed upstairs to a managing role and then we're going to have to lose you. But for now, still a senior journalist. Thank you. Thank goodness. Thank, you. Thank goodness. Also, Harry McCracken is here. He is a senior technology editor at Fast Company. Hi, Harry. Hey, Leo. The technologizer, I still call you that. 
because I've known you Always for so long. enjoy hearing you say that. I have to mention, uh, we've been talking about it before the show, but there were two stories about Harry that were kind of outside your normal beat at Fast Company, but I love them. Your blog has a story about the Bullwinkle statue in Los Angeles called The Moose and the Showgirl. Uh, I, I love this. This is on your uh, regular blog, harrymccracken.com. This moose. Like the first thing I've written on my own site in years. Moose and Squiddle. I didn't know you were a Bullwinkle fan. <laughs> I am a huge Bullwinkle huge. fan. Huge. Bull cartoons in general and Bullwinkle in particular. See, I'm not a huge cartoon fan, although I, I admit when I was a kid, my parents would take me to, uh, we were, my dad was a professor at Brown, and the students would have late night showings of Roadrunner cartoons. And I think it was somewhat subversive. <laughs> we would we would go watch the Roadrunner cartoons, and I think that gave me a taste for subversive cartoons. Uh, but I've always loved Rocky and Bullwinkle, and mostly because of the voices. The great Paul Fries was Boris Bednov, and uh, June Foray was Natasha, and Rocky, and uh, such such Neil Fenwick. Neil Fenwick is he was he Bullwinkle? Sorry, Nell Fenwick. Uh, June Foray was Nell Fenwick, and they oh, she, do write cartoons. Oh, that's right. She was and, Nell. Uh, oh, Nell. Yes. Oh, yes, Nell. I, and Bill Scott, who was Bill also Scott. the like co-producer and the head writer, was Bullwinkle and Mr. Peabody and Dudley Do-Right. Wow. Wow. Such great cartoons. Why is there a giant Bullwinkle in Los Angeles, however, is the big uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, um, 60 years ago tomorrow, the Bullwinkle show premiered in prime time. Um, it had been a, a kid show up until then, and the Flintstones created this this big demand for more adult primetime animation, sort of like the Simpsons did a long time after that. So when, when Bullwinkle came to primetime, Jay Ward um, wanted to promote it. So um, he built the statue. And he hired Jane Mansfield to unveil it. And he had this huge party on, on the Sunset Strip that, that shut down the strip. And several thousand people showed up. And the statue just hung around for, for years, sort of slowly rotting away. And in just the last few years, um, it was nicely restored. And it was moved to city property in West Hollywood. And it's about a mile away from where it was. But it's been there almost uninterrupted, except for the time when it was being restored since uh, 60 years ago. Your article is really a love story to that area of Sunset Strip, and the, yeah. the, the 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 there's the Bullwinkle statue and the and the Sahara girl for the Las Vegas Sahara Hotel, the showgirl with a giant ro rotating sombrero, and just a wonderful look at that. Uh, the Bullwinkle statue was a takeoff on her. She was across the street and was oh kind of a symbol of the strip back then. <laughs> so so instead of holding a sombrero, Bullwinkle's holding Rocky. Exactly. But he's kind of got the same come-hither pose. <laughs> and he's wearing a bathing suit. So. <laughs> there she is in the background. That's yeah. hysterical. They were, they were synchronized. They, they, they circled around at exactly the same time. Did you, had you, did you ever see it? Uh, the Sahara figure, uh, there, were all, all, there were all kinds of things for the story. I had to research, and what's out there was often incorrect. But the Sahara figure shut down. They took it down in, I think, 1967. So I did not see that. Um, I visited the Bullwinkle statue a whole bunch of times, though, at, at its old location at the former studio. Here are the two of them rotating in synchrony. It's a great article. Go to harrymccracken.com to read about it. And then I, I have to mention, and I'm sorry, guys, we'll get to you in a bit. <laughs> but I have to mention, Harry wrote when, how old were you in 1981? I was uh, 17. When you were a teenager, 
a basic adventure, as many of us did on these early computers, right? You, you, you ended up writing your own software, saving it out to cassette tape. Uh, you wrote an adventure called Arctic Adventure. And uh, this is this is uh, com. if you want to know more. It was kind of discovered. It was published in a book called The Captain... Uh, Captain what? Captain... Captain 50, 80. Captain 80, Book of Basic Adventures. And you would type it in, right? I mean, this this was a book of source code that you would type in. Which people did back then. Yeah, I did a lot of that from from Compute Magazine and... You type in this because it was where you how you got software, but there was a typo in the book. No one knew about all these years. It never worked. Uh, somebody back then said something up to me about it, but didn't really provide any details. And I'm, I'm still not sure whether it's my bug or was somehow introduced into the program because, um, yeah, the program did not work at all. So if anybody had ch- checked this code that was published, they would not have been able to play the game. We wouldn't understand any commands. I don't know if it's more of a comment on this. The number of people who bought the book or the number of people who actually typed the code in. <laughs> but the fact that you only got one bug report in all those years is kind of amazing. You fixed it, though. But, uh, I fixed that. I made it, I fixed some other bugs. Um, I fixed the new bugs I introduced while typing it in. Um, I added some stuff. I, anything I didn't like. Um, 40 years later, I switched around. Uh, I had this other. I had also written a slot machine game, and I inserted my slot machine code in my adventure code. Um, so now... In the Arctic, you can play a slot machine. Wow! So, uh, can I? Do I still have to type it in, or can I? Can I? Tell? No, you can play. In fact, you can play it in your browser. You, you not only don't need a TRS eighty, you don't even need to have like a TRS eighty emulator. It, it works in a browser. You are in an igloo. Obvious exits out. You see a shovel, warm coat. Uh, get shovel. It's thinking. You see a warm uh, coat. Yeah. Get that warm. Coat. You notice I'm typing warm yeah. after it many. You may not understand. I understand that because of the warm. Let's see. I don't know what coat means. Okay, get coat. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I learned is back then people played so many of these games, they sort of intuitively understood stuff like you should just say get coat. Yeah. And I actually made a number of changes based on having people who did, did not remember this whole world play the game. And some stuff that was obvious back then is confusing. It's very cold. Obvious exits, west and south. You see a small igloo. Can I just type W? Yes, I can. Uh, you see an ice flow, ocean. It's still cold. So I, I think that's enough of Arctic Adventure, but you get the idea. <laughs> Harry McCracken's code from 40 years ago. Holy cow. Um, so great. I read the story, Harry. I loved like just seeing this whole thing come together, but it also makes me want everybody to do like the digital archival work. Of the stuff they yeah. did, like I, I have stuff from the mid '90s, I put online. I don't know where it is now. Yeah, yeah. My friend Charles, who uh, was my friend Thanks. in high school and is my friend today, updated his adventure from back then, and that's also on Arctic eighty one. That's amazing. And then we we added references to each other's adventure games, uh, <laughs> so that um, there's there's his, his lost ship adventure, and I had a ship, so I made my ship his lost ship. So we created a mini universe of nineteen eighties TRS eighty adventure games. It, I think it's really lo- a lost generation and a lost, uh, I mean, kids kids today, anybody today uh, who wasn't around back then really doesn't know anything about this whole era. Uh, I'm glad that you kind of kept it alive. And for us old timers, it's really fun to see. So I just wanted to mention both of those articles. Read Harry's blog, harrymccracken.com and arctic81.com. You can actually play the Arctic 
adventure. That's not the big story of the week. <laughs> it isn't? You're tuning in for iPhone stuff and you're playing a text adventure game. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's the lead story. No, the big story, of course, is Apple had an event this week. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you right up. I don't want to color your opinions, uh, gentlemen, but I'll tell you right up front. This is the first iPhone since 2007 that I'm not going to buy. Really? So, Devendra, have you? Mm-hmm. You don't have a review unit yet. Have you been briefed? No, or, no, nothing. Okay. Uh, people who do have review units can't say they do, so that's another thing. But okay. no, I do. I don't have any sort of unit. Um, I, I've talked to people who do. You know, it's I, cool. I ordered one. I got up, yeah, you know, five a.m. on Friday and <laughs> ordered one for my wife because she says I have to have a new iPhone. I said, it's fine. She said you should buy mm-hmm. one. I am in a very unusual position where my wife is urging me to, to buy a new iPhone. And I'm saying, no, I don't. The only want man in America yeah. whose I, wife is urging him to buy an iPhone. I don't want a new iPhone. I did get the, uh, so they announced uh, the base uh, model iPad has been upgraded. They announced a new mini with the same A15 chip, which is The mini looks cool. fantastic. That's, we'll I, talk about that. I yeah. confess I did order that, mm-hmm. even though I have yep. no use at all. But I just <laughs> like the, the, I thought maybe this is my new phone. It's not the phone. Mm-hmm. But I'll put some software on the mini, and and I got the LTE version, and I could use that as a phone. It's not like it I looks, make phone calls anymore. Very good. Like that that mini just looks like it could be both your mini tablet, your e reader, your little yeah. gaming machine, like a, a little like notepad device when you're out and about. Like I foresee a lot of use with that thing. So those are both or, or, uh, available if you ordered on Friday. Uh, actually, you could order on. The uh, Tuesday, I was, took me off guard. Apple actually put the order up on Tuesday. I said, "What? I can buy it." It's a pre pre order. Like you, you get, you put all your details in, and then on Friday you just hit the like the button. No, Ideally, it didn't no, actually work. That, that was way. for the phone. No. For the mini, you could actually buy it. Oh, for the tablet, you're you're right. I'm sorry, Leah. Yeah. Yes. Which I mean, I, I was I thought, oh my god, I've missed out. Have not. By the way, I don't know if. <laughs> Apple's supply chains worked out or the the ordering isn't quite as brisk but it didn't it wasn't so hard to get either one of these. Mm-hmm. Uh one thing you won't be able to get is the new Apple Watch uh no. which they said yeah you can get it later this year. <laughs> sometime we, this, we won't say anything about a delay. Yeah. Yeah, sometime this fall. Mm-hmm. Uh Apple did not mention a whole bunch of other things that uh probably we didn't expect them to mention but the Epic Apple Epic uh, store decision didn't say a word about that. Didn't didn't mention employee unrest. Uh, hashtag Apple two. Uh, they just they're very focused and uh, did an hour and fifteen minutes on uh, their new hardware. Nor did they mention new AirPods, which the rumor said they might. Nor did they mention Mac in any form or fashion. Yeah. In we'll fact, probably have another Mac event in a month or two. In yeah. fact, they, they, I don't even yeah. think they mentioned that the iOS 15 comes out tomorrow. Nope. <laughs> no, that was like in a press release. <laughs> they're very focused, those guys at Apple. Um, they did. Uh, the star of the show was not the iPhone. It was California, which I thought was kind of interesting. Those drone shots. Those drone shots were really beautiful. something. Yeah. I wonder if it's a little tone deaf, though, uh, because I don't think the rest of the country really likes California very much right now. <laughs> Seriously. A lot a lot of people are jealous. Like, I'll, I'll be honest, like living, there's always a, the New York-LA rivalry, right? And I love I love New York when I was there, um, but I imagine the weather in LA and the natural beauty you guys get throughout California, you know, there's, there's a lot of envy going on. 
Is it envy or just mm -hmm. we hate you guys? <laughs> no, it's not hate. I think the South gets uh, gets South in Florida gets uh, more hate. I think by everybody. Yeah, uh, is, is that your sense too in, in Kentucky, uh, Jason? Is the California? Yeah. It used to be, you know, Hollywood, the you know, the Golden West. Uh, but I think of late, it's not quite that. That's what Apple portrayed it as, you know, the magical sure. state. Yeah. No, I mean, it, look, it's lost a little bit of its luster for, for sure, for whatever reason. But some of it is just, you know, also California for its, as long as there's been a California, it's it's been a boom and bust cycle, right? Like it goes through these periods where everybody wants to be in California and then it's like everybody's leaving California. Now it's everybody wants to be in California again. And we're in one of these like everybody's leaving in California. Why would you want to be in California sort of periods, which are usually the people who in California that, that live there. Friends of mine tell me like that's the best time to live there because like the traffic. <laughs> we hope better, everybody leaves. Please. Are a little please lower. Leave. All of those things. Move to Florida. <laughs> move to Texas. Please be my guest. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. traffic's terrible. And of course, we have wildfires. We have homelessness. There's we, that. Yeah. Cal we have earthquakes. A lot of problems. Yeah. So, anyway, I, I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting thing. I, I think it seems that like it, maybe it was an artifact. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, please, Harry. I was going to say it seems like maybe it was an artifact of the fact that they're not doing these events in person. So they have the opportunity to go places and uh, pick interesting mm. spots to do the demos from. And given that Apple is in California and there are lots of interesting places here. It's a logical move to make. And if you're going to go to those places, you're probably going to talk about how great California is because <laughs> Apple has done that for a long time. And uh, all their yep, products yeah. have the little teeny tiny type bragging about the fact it was designed in California. That's true. That's true. Uh, yeah. I, I don't I suppose they, they, they had to move on. Oh, go ahead. I don't suppose next time they'll do it from China. Mm, no. We're not going to talk. About <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Devinder. Uh, I was going to say they um, the last couple events they've had basically showed off the uh, the UFO headquarters. Right. So yeah. they had people on the roof. They had people in the courtyard. They had people like, you know, in glass like rooms and stuff. And I think after a certain point, they're like, we, we got to do more than this. There's more we can show than our office. One reaction uh, Alex Lindsay had on MacBreak Weekly on Tuesday was this d this proves that Apple is going to continue to do pre-recorded events because they've realized that the product they have such skill in production the production value is so high that it makes it a much more interesting event and i would i actually would hope that they would expand it to the rest of the u.s next time uh and not i think it's a mistake just to make it california but i do the think production it is, value the production value is incredible mm -hmm. right yeah i I'm, I I'm blown away by some of those shots sorry go ahead harry <laughs> I just want to say, I imagine that even if they do bring back an in-person element, you will see more of the stuff uh, uh, rather than it all be stuff that works best if you happen to be there in person. I mean, I'm biased because yeah. sometimes I get to go in person, so I vote for going back to in-person. But for both Apple and uh, almost everybody in the world except for tech journalists, uh, there are a lot of arguments mm -hmm. for continuing to do this. Well, I mean, let's face it. These events are just big ads. I mean, that's really what they've oh, become. Yeah. But they draw a big audience, not just journalists, but but Apple fans and, and people who are interested in the technology. So it's a great opportunity for Apple. In fact, they took the advantage of that, starting the thing talking about Apple TV Plus, which is basically an ad for all the shows that are coming in the fall and stuff. So it it is something Apple will obviously continue to do. And I think that they, they're aware of people coming to the events. And 
I think for people like you, Harry and Devendra and, and Jason, there's a hands-on element that's that's nice for journalists to be able to, after the they're talking about it, go and play with this stuff. But it's a very limited audience, and I think Apple realizes that the real value of this is is a is a ninety minute or hour ad. Yeah, and also showing things in action, showing people using things not just on stage, but you know, in a in like a real world environment. I think that's there's going to be more benefit of that. Um, I almost wonder, like, I'm surprised Apple doesn't do little things around its stores. I haven't been to an Apple store during an event time, but do they do anything to be like? Do they show the events as they're happening in a store? Because that would be kind of cool to get the like local hardcore fans in too. I don't, I don't know. Do they? They should, shouldn't they? That I would don't be think so. I've, I've always, yeah. I've always thought that too, Devendra. I think it's a great um, point because these stores, it's, it's sometimes I've got, I've, there was one time when I, I can't remember I had an appointment or something and it was overlapping part of the event or right before. And I was like, went in the store, I was like, Nobody here realizes there's an Apple event going on. This is crazy. Yeah, yeah. This is amazing. This is a wild. Like For a long time, these events were <laughs> yeah. were almost Christmas for geeks, right? I, the, yeah. The, I think those yeah. days are kind of gone. I mean, the expectation that Apple is going to announce something that will take your breath away or that you've never thought of before. Partly it's because the leak industry is so successful and powerful, despite everything Apple does, that there aren't usually big surprises. But also partly because we're we're at peak phone. I mean, there's not mm-hmm. a lot of innovation that you can do. When Apple announces uh, AR glasses or an Apple car, maybe that'll be an event where we, you know, we get, yeah, this is exciting. At this point, it, maybe I'm jaded, but it's really just a long ad for why you should buy the new phone. And in this case, I don't think they made a very compelling case for it, uh, which is why <laughs> yeah, I'm, they I'm made the last phone it. too good. Yeah, Maybe that's it. I mean, uh, we haven't yet seen benchmarks. Apple note did not say faster than the old phone. They said faster than the competition. The early, I mean, it has to be faster. Yeah. A little, it's an a 15 chip, mm-hmm. but the benchmarks at, on Geekbench seem to be about 10% faster, which is barely noticeable. And by the way, when's the last time you said your iPhone's too slow? (laughs) Never. Yeah. Yeah. It's got like a supercomputer in there now. And and it looks like they put most of the energy not into making it 25% faster, but making it a little little faster, but much better battery life. Because I think it's like the, the Pro Max, they're saying it's like two and a half hours better battery life and especially for the mini the mini really took it on the chin a lot last year because the people who had it you know they were not experiencing good battery life lots of people talking about not making it through the day so that one specifically if they were going to keep that product in the line it needed to have better battery life and it looks like that's where they've directed most of the improvements on the chip not to making it faster to your point leo that it didn't necessarily need to be a lot faster but it they put that those advantages um toward better battery life which is is probably pretty smart in this case yeah yep. yeah i mean if you're going to buy it you would buy it because it has in an hour or more better battery life than last year's model which is significant yeah. the batteries are bigger so maybe they finally are using the space vacated by the headphone jack um, but uh, yes, and the not, item is not bigger faster. Than that. It's, the screen it's is heavier. faster, the or better yeah. in any way. I mean, well, it's 120 hertz, so I guess that's better. Um, it's really better. I, I think you're right. I think the I think the battery is the biggest improvement. They did talk a lot about that. I mean, I would love to it know for heavier. sure what, what the. Yes, mm-hmm. it's a lot heavier because of the battery. 
I'd love to know uh, for sure what the average age of an iPhone is because most people would not even consider buying an iPhone a year after they bought a new iPhone. If you have one that's a few years older, they, they start to look way more compelling. Right. And um, better battery life is boring, but it's also probably one of the, one of the very best uh, attributes a new phone can have. Well, maybe. Uh, I mean, in the days when they couldn't make it through a day, but Apple's been able to make it through a day for some time now. I don't. Mm-hmm. I have, uh, a normal day, at least. Do, do, do any of you have battery anxiety with your iPhones? I mean, on a super busy day sometimes. Maybe if you're traveling, mm-hmm. maybe yeah. I guess. You know, maybe yeah. Working from home has made it harder because I, I know because now if I do Zoom calls like on my phone and I, even if I'm just listening and I take a walk and I'm listening on a Zoom call, I'm like over the past year, I've had started having battery anxiety maybe oh, for okay. the first time in a while. Because okay. if I'm on a call for a long time, then I end up on a Zoom, then I end up another call, then I'm watching a video. All of a sudden, like that starts to drain the battery. And I, I'd say... Over the past year, I've gotten to the point where I've had to charge sometimes in the middle of the day for oh. the first time in several years. Then you yeah. will welcome mm-hmm. this improvement. I do. I go on long I bike do. rides. Um, bike rides are a time when I could use more battery life sometimes. I guess because of COVID, no. I don't really. <laughs> I don't, I, maybe that's the problem is that I've been locked down. So I, uh, I don't have much occasion to run out of battery. But I, there must be a market because Apple mm-hmm. sells a lot of those extended battery packs. Other companies do as well. So maybe that is a feature that people want. We've all had smartphones for a while, too, and people have come up with their solutions for like, okay, in my desk, I'll have like a little right. cable or something for right. me to just charge a little while I'm sitting down. kind of used to uh, The big thing I yeah. notice is in my car, when I'm driving around, I just, you know, I'll plug it in. Um, and hey, that gives me more juice throughout the day, too. So more batteries always better. But I don't know how much like the people are really feeling that burn right now. I, I think you're right, though, that people aren't. Uh, buying a new phone every year by by mm-hmm. far. In fact, to Apple's credit, you could put iOS 15 on even a 6S, going all the way back to a 6S. So people with older iPhones are not going to feel left out of the uh, the future, and they'll certainly still be secure, as secure as you can be with a an iPhone. Oh, yeah. Over the past year, the lifespan of the, of the iPhone has has increased pretty dramatically. Actually, I believe it's in the last two years. It's gone from almost two and a half years of how long people were keeping it to now over three. Yeah. So mm-hmm. really, this was not an advertisement for iPhone 12 owners. This is an advertisement for iPhone 10, yeah. <laughs> iPhone 11, yes. iPhone 10R, I agree. It, it, yes. iPhone 8. You know, and if you're coming from one of those devices, you're going to be you're going to be pretty stoked, I think, with the 13. Mm-hmm. This is my favorite moment. I want to show this in the um, in the event right at the beginning. Uh, you know, we've been watching a concert in the Redwoods, on the ocean, all the instrumentalists spread all over the state. And then suddenly we're in the desert and it looks like Tim Cook and his trademark uh, black high tops and jeans is walking through the desert and then kind of miraculously... He transitions and he's in the Apple campus. Uh, I thought that was nicely done. A uh, lot of really beautiful video in this. It is a it, they're good at they're good at the advert of this, and they're also very good at meaningless numbers, <laughs> like two times faster, faster than the competition. One thing they didn't say this time is it's the thinnest iPhone we've ever made or the thinnest iPad we've ever made or the thinnest Apple Watch we've ever made. In fact, the Apple Watch is a little bit bigger uh, than ever before. Uh, Seems like they're kind of over that, and I don't know if that is anything to do with the fact that Johnny's gone. Johnny Ive, yep. Johnny's no longer yep. uh, overseeing it. 
because it was always Since Johnny Ch- Ive left every year. It's gotten thicker. <laughs> I mean, if you look at is it, that true? The, the iPhone. Is I believe that that's true that, wow. that every year since thicker. Johnny Ive left, the iPhone's gotten thicker. That's thicker, terrible. bigger batteries, better battery life. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. I, I hear Johnny Ive's voice. It's the thinnest iPhone we've ever made. I hear him saying that. So without him <laughs> saying that, there's no reason to. Um, the, I think the big thing, and I think at this point, uh, because we are at peak phone, you're not talking about the phone battery i guess you're talking about the screen is incrementally better but what you're really always looking for from apple is tell us about the cameras yep. and uh and this time they do have some features that almost persuaded me it might be worth spending a thousand or more dollars for a brand new phone you want that sensor shift leo come on <laughs> sensor shift optical image stabilization which is really cool i'm glad that that is out on every uh, model now because last year it was only on the Pro Max and you, that thing is always it was way too heavy for me so I would never go to that. You had to have the which yeah. I have by the way you had to have the Pro Max. Yeah. In fact, that's why I bought yep. the Pro Max is for that optical image stabilization uh, and the sensor shift. They've also added a new. Uh, you wrote about this cinematic mode uh, for video making. I don't. Do people make a lot of videos with their iPhones? I take a lot of pictures. I always forget to make videos. Is I guess with TikTok and and YouTube, there's a yeah. lot of things. There's people parents. Yeah. I know. Like I, I have a three, almost three year old now, and like that. That's why I try to get the bigger storage and the better cameras because I want to capture as much as I can. Uh, I do think cinematic mode. It looks like a really cool way of making us rethink the way focus works uh, for mobile video. So I know that, you've that always wanted rack focus for your videos of your three year old. <laughs> <laughs> no, DaVinci's got it right. Cool stuff. <laughs> I yep. think about all the videos I never took that I wish I had with my wow. kids when they were little. Wow. Yeah, I mean, yes. yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it's good. Take them because you'll you'll be glad you have them. I have one yep. video that I took with my first digital camera was an Olympus uh, in two thousand four. No, two thousand one. I think it was of my son the first time he ever read to me. It's only five or six seconds. It is a cherished clip. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. You, you'll, I mean, if I had his first step, I would be through her or my daughter's first step. Mm-hmm. I would be thrilled. Yeah. But uh, I was too busy. It's, uh, and I think a lot of people would want to get like an action cam or something too. Like I, I also have a GoPro and my dream is oh, like geez. to have that for vacations and walks and stuff too, <laughs> okay. just to capture. But, uh, you know, it's uh, I got a warning. Cinemac you. mode looks cool. It got to the mm-hmm. point where both my kids would say, Dad, stop taking pictures. Stop. Stop. They put their hand up. I have a lot of well, pictures of my kids with their hand. I've, I've got a I got a I got a bunch of these too yeah, that look like this. Yeah. And that's why you that's need when Facebook they become glasses. teenagers. Yeah. Yeah, get those new Facebook yeah. glasses. You can take all the pictures you want. So by the exactly. time your three year old is a teenager, Davindra, you'll be in good shape because there'll be like all sure. these, you know, uh these glasses out where you'll just be able to like blink your eyes three times and then it uh, starts recording. Yeah, I don't want to live in that world. That's gonna be dad's bad. Recording yeah. all the time. So Apple made not one, but two movies. They made a cinematic whodunit to demonstrate rack focus. Um, now, first of all, and Devinder, you've, you've, you wrote the uh, article about this. So I don't think they're actually changing focus, are they? It does. I mean, we do. I haven't seen a full technical deep dive in this, but it does look like uh, the sensor is big enough to focus on something in the foreground and then shift that focus all the way to the back as if you were using a film, you know, or a digital. There's some debate about whether they're changing focus optically or whether they're blurring. 
it could be it could just be a blur but at the end of the day what what does it matter right like i don't think portrait mode is simulated portrait mode is a blur it's not real bokeh Mm -hmm. it's a blur Mm -hmm. um we don't know i guess we won't know until we get the phones uh or to the embargoes are lifted uh, my understanding is that with this, so I think this was post-produced because what, what they said is you can take that video and then in post, right. you can change the focus. So I think right. that's not, I probably it tries to do it dynamically, but like this one we saw where it's perfect. I think that in post they were switching, yep. you know, and fine tuning the focus. Computational photography. That, and that's my, that's why I think it is just blurring. Yeah. Because you you yeah. couldn't you wouldn't be able to record enough information. Mm-hmm. I mean that was that was what the uh, the Lytro did right the Lytro the ray yeah. tracing camera Lytro. they recorded yeah. enough information that could have foc- a, a varying focal planes. But that's not what the iPhone is doing. I don't think. No, no, <laughs> it's not but doing it, ray tracing. Functionally, if you get, if you get a good blur and you can mimic some of these features, it will still look pretty cool. Um, they they did show off one thing that was like a smart version of this, where a character can look away, and I believe it can automatically shift focus. Yes. based on that, they so claimed that is AI cool. was being yeah. used to determine what the point of focus was and to automatically rack focus. So you can do it manually by tapping. But they yeah. claim that their AI is smart enough to know, oh, you looked away. What are you looking at? Oh, let's focus on that. Okay. I'll, I, I think we have to, we have to mm-hmm. see this to really. Yeah. It's interesting. It. it is limited. And they didn't say this in the presentation. It is limited to 1080p, 30 FPS. Ah. So a lot of us are used to doing 4K ah. 60 on our iPhones at this point. So yeah. then you have to start making that choice. Do I want this to do like a cool cinematic staging for this video or do I want to get the best quality I can get? That's of a my good kids? catch. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. not good. Yeah. Okay. I do feel I like I'm, I would keep it on 4K. Yeah. 4K 60. Yeah. yeah. I'm not. Yeah. I want Dolby Vision, baby. Go ahead, Harry. I was just going to say that I'm, I'm at this point, I'm kind of used to Apple doing these events where they show these yeah. unbelievably gorgeous still photos and now these incredible videos and my own uh, still photos and videos are not improving in quality at the same pace as Apple's are. And I'm always curious who's taking these incredible photos and are they really in kind of the same environments? I, com- take them? I completely agree. And I always remind myself there's this rea- there still is a reality distortion field because Apple's very good at creating this environment where you go, oh, that's beautiful. So I always have to remind myself, those photos are taken by professional photographers using studio lights. So don't, that's not natural light in most cases, uh, mm-hmm. in very controlled circumstance. And these guys know exactly what the capabilities of the camera are and are playing to it. So yes, your yeah. photos are never going to look like that. <laughs> on, the, uh, on the other hand, and it's not just Apple. I mean, you could say the same thing about the latest Samsung phones, and I'm sure the Pixel Six when it comes out. Yeah, you can. Samsung take does the same thing, fit. but does it? Yeah, you could. Take, you can take really good photos. Damn yeah. good photos, yeah. even when good photos light. with yeah. both. Of them. I'm talking about like yeah. the, the advertising of them, like in terms of showing off what the their devices can do. Samsung is totally doing what Apple does, but kind of does the commercial aspect of it worse. So it's just kind of funny to see everybody kind didn't of follow get, there. Didn't was yeah. it Samsung or yeah. oh, no? Maybe it was OnePlus that got busted because they were using. <laughs> SLRs to shoot the photos. Yeah, a whole bunch of companies. I think it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some of them do it it's over true. and over again. Yeah, they don't stop. The, Sam's, the Samsung events and Samsung's putting out some pretty, you know, crazy quality products too. But the Samsung events feel more like a commercial. Apple somehow, you know, the art of it is that it is absolutely a commercial. 
that feels a little less like a commercial and feels a little more lifestyle-y. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's, it's a TED Talk. Kitsch. It's so many things. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's uh, there, there is a terabyte iPhone now, Leo. So you have terabyte option. That's another nice terabyte. upgrade for some people. I, I am the mm. idiot. And one of the reasons I'm not buying the iPhone is because <laughs> I'm the idiot that bought the terabyte M1 based iPad Pro. Like, what the hell am I going to do with all of that? But my theory you could have was, bought a two, two terabyte one. I, I think I did. <laughs> I maxed it out. Whatever the max was. I think I got the two, two. terabyte. It's a laptop. Oh, In fact, it was a laptop price. It was twenty five hundred bucks. I don't know what I was thinking. I was drugged by the Apple reality distortion field. But I have to say, looking at what Apple's doing now, this is a long way from the days when even Steve Jobs, as great as he was, would stand on the stage and, and go through the demo and all that. This is a whole different kettle of fish Apple's producing here. These mm -hmm. are mm -hmm. program-length ads that are gorgeous. And I don't think Apple's going back to the Steve Jobs theater and the, and the no. static presentations. They control this too tightly. They're able to make these look gorgeous. And and since COVID, they've gotten better and better. This one was dramatically better than previous ones. Mm -hmm. They also realized that the world doesn't want to see the same two or three white guys doing all the demos right. in every event. That's so right. they cram in all, all kinds of people. It's just kind of way more interesting based on the fact you get to see a, a lot of faces you would not have seen in the past. And, but none of those people dominate in the way that um, Steve Jobs once dominated or even Phil Schiller. And he did a lot of the stuff, dominated those events. No, nobody. Look, Steve was the best presenter of all time and actually set the standard mm -hmm. that that uh, Apple has been trying to live up to ever since. It was interesting, though, to see Phil Schiller's replacement, Greg Joswiak, on stage and COO Jeff Williams on stage. These are two very high-level executives, uh, almost as high as Tim Cook. So Apple is putting senior leadership up on the stage. And I think that that's, that FaceTime is meaningful and important uh, for succession planning, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just for positioning the company. It's not Tim Cook's company in the way it was Steve Jobs' company. Right? And they have a deep, they have a deep bullpen of, of people of color and of women that they can mm -hmm. put up on stage and show, see, we're, you know, we're a diverse company. And I'm glad to see it, Absolutely. It's it's nice to see um, again, like you mentioned, they they didn't talk about the the stuff about employee unrest and whatnot, and I do feel like these ads are a way of saying like, hey, look, we're inclusive, okay? Like we're we're very inclusive compared to most companies. So it is funny to see like the image Apple is projecting out there versus like some of the stuff we're hearing, uh, you know, on background from people. You know, like, I I'm really I want to take a break and we'll come back because I'm mm -hmm. I'm really uh, conflicted about this Apple II story. Um, we don't normally cover it because it's a labor issue. And one of the problems with covering labor issues is there's two sides to the story. But often uh, the, the, the company can't say anything because of labor law. Mm -hmm. And so they can't really actively defend themselves. And so it's very hard to know what's really going on. There seems to be unrest at Apple. But Apple's a very, very big company. And if it's 100 people that might... I don't know what to say. I don't know what to think about it. So I'm going to let you guys get in trouble instead of me in just a little bit. Uh, it's good to have you all here. Devendra Hardwar from Engadget. Uh, Jason Heiner from CNET. Are you sister? You're sisters now. You're sister publications now. Is that right? No? no. I can't figure out who the hell owns anybody anymore. You're owned by <laughs> Red Ventures, right, Jason? That's right. And Engadget is owned by Verizon still? 
Nope. Who nope. the hell owns you now? We Apollo. It's Apollo. Apollo. Yeah. We just we just changed the corporate naming is back to Yahoo. Yeah, I Yahoo. thought that was hysterical. Yahoo. So it yeah. was Yahoo. Then it became Oath. <laughs> then it became Yahoo Media. It wasn't. It was AOL. It was, it was AOL. AOL. And then AOL merged with Yahoo, and that was Oath. And yeah, yeah. And then it went to something media. Now it's back to Yahoo. And the yes. CEO of Tinder's running the company. Sure. <laughs> It's owned by Apollo. I love Yahoo. We're all practicing our yodels right now. Yahoo. Yeah. Bring back the sign. That was also our former, that was our former right. CEO too, Jim Lanzone. Oh, was he? Um, oh, I who, didn't know that. Who's now, who's now their CEO. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, I media. didn't realize. He's been around. I'm sure he's a very yeah. nice guy. Um, he's great. Yeah. That's Jason Heiner, who's owned by Red Ventures. You're not, you're not, you guys are not owned by <laughs> your publications. Are owned by. I'm just jealous. No one owns me. And uh, Harry McCracken <laughs> works for Fast Company. I have no idea who owns Fast Company these days. We, that's kind of the idea. We're owned by an itty bitty media company that owns us and Inc. Magazine. Nice. You guys have it good. Yeah. I don't. And actually, I'd say these days being owned by a very small media company has a lot of advantages. <laughs> oh, God. What a world we live in. It's just. Incredible. Our show today brought to you by Nureva. Speaking of what a world, uh, obviously, <laughs> these days, uh, having a meeting room and having uh, audio and video in a meeting room is complicated. You've got social distancing. You've got masking. You've got to wipe things down. It is a very complicated situation, but it is the case that you need to have video meetings. That's where Nureva comes in. There are Look, there are plenty of simple plug-and-play audio solutions for these huddle rooms. But, but if you want full-room mic coverage in a big room or a large meeting space or a large learning space for schools and colleges, you know, probably what you've looked at is the complexity and high cost of a pro-AV solution in there. Can I say you don't need to do that? Can I make a recommendation? Nureva is changing all that by simplifying almost every aspect of audio conferencing. So you can go, sure, you can go out, buy a pro system. Involves multiple components, mics, speakers. You install them in the ceiling. You spread them across the table. A lot of cables, a lot of stuff to wipe down. You need specialized technicians who have to figure out what to install, have to install it, then have to calibrate it, and maybe back to calibrate it again and again. It takes days to install. And yes, tens of thousands of dollars per room. For the purchase and the installation and ongoing expenses, keeping it all working. Then there's Nareva Audio. Exceptional audio for rooms as big as 25 to 25 feet with one integrated microphone and speaker bar. Got a 30 by 50 foot room? Get two bars and you'll cover the whole space. You can install it yourself. If you can, if you can hang up a sound bar, you can put the Nareva in. It takes about 30 minutes, two screws, one cable. That's it. No microphones because the Nareva does this amazing patented technology called the microphone mist technology. It's, com it's completely, it's basically computational audio. You get true full room coverage. Everyone is heard no matter where they are in the room, how they socially distance. They can even face away from the microphone. It's as if you have thousands of microphones in the space and it it calibrates continuously, automatically, so your room is always ready. Move the furniture, doesn't matter. It recalibrates automatically. 
You don't, there's no training. Your IT guys don't have to come in and operate the software. It's simple. In fact, you'll get an Areva console, a simple, intuitive platform that lets you monitor, manage, adjust, and scale your fleet of systems from anywhere. No training required because it's very straightforward. And let me tell you how it works. It works great. Talk about simplifying in this complicated post-COVID world. The question is, which approach will you choose? The expensive Pro-AV system or the affordable Nareva system? You're going to love Nareva. At least do yourself a favor. Visit Nareva.com slash twit and learn more. N-U-R-E-V-A dot com slash twit. Nareva, designed to simplify. Because the last thing we need is more complexity. Thank you, Nareva, for supporting uh, This Week in Tech. And thank you all for supporting This Week in Tech by using that special address when you visit Nareva. Nareva.com slash twit. So I, it's a hornet's nest. It's a, uh, I don't know if I want to get into it. We've avoided co- talking about it, but there seems to be more and more noise. In fact, Tim Cook had an all-hands meeting uh, this Friday at Apple. I mean, all-hands, everybody, and uh, was asked a couple of questions about pay equity um, and uh, about this Apple II controversy. Do you guys... do you, you don't cover it on Engadget, right? You can avoid that. I mean, we, we've covered some of it, I believe. And, then, you know, it, it is good to talk about this stuff because at the same time as we're, you know, drooling over the new products, I think it's important to think about the environment in which these things get made. So, yeah, we've done some coverage. I've, I, we may have more coming. Apple, it's, it's really it's worth paying attention to. Apple, yeah. And Apple gets probably more attention because they position themselves as mm-hmm. a as a as a conscious, thoughtful, caring company, and so when they violate privacy, when they when they treat their employees poorly or per, potentially treat their employees poorly, again we don't know the full story. It becomes it becomes a story. Um, Jason, what do you think? Yeah, we we're running uh, a package right now, an editorial package called Made in America, and it's part of our road trip every summer. We do uh, what we call a road trip where we're going to different places to uh, speak with um, founders, speak with companies, do the stories that are often, you know, fall behind the headlines, right? We sometimes say and and just like get overlooked or don't get deep dives. And so the one that we chose this year because we're still sort of limited travel wise um, for COVID is the... Um, this idea of made in America. So exploring what it means to make things here, what that uh, the effects are for, um, for labor, for um, the way the products that we use for the talent that we develop, all of those things. And um, you know, the, the uh, head story is um, supply chains, labor costs, consumer apathy, why made in America is a tricky idea to sell um, by um, Connie Guillermo, who's the editor-in-chief um, of CNET. And so that puts it in some perspective that a lot of these things are, they're they are not um, black and white issues, right? They're, there's a lot of nuance and understanding. So for example, um, in the U.S., as much as we'd like to make things in America, we've chased away, um, because of the way that we've exported a lot of labor, um, a lot of machinists. 
and a lot of the people who make the machines that make the machines, right? And so we have some some fundamental challenges to being able to actually make more things here. And, And then labor has to do with that too, in terms of the ways that we are used to paying people, the ways that um, because of the um, the way that we have healthcare and uh, retirement and pensions and um, those kinds of things, the the cost of labor is different. It's not just here, but in other parts of the developed world. So, you know, th- these are these are challenging issues. It's it's been an issue for as long as there's been um, people making things that. Um, labor pools tend to move to places where there's not as much of a developed sense of of those kinds of things and where, you know, labor over time as it gets um, more developed, it becomes more expensive because people, uh, you know, they organize, um, their expectations become higher and, and their skills are valued more. So, you know, this is one of the greatest challenges of the 21st century. It's not limited to um, Apple. It's not limited to Made in America. It, it really is one of the things that uh, that we have to really get our arms around because it, it has a lot of implications for, you know, average citizens, societies, human rights, all, all of these things. Yeah, yeah, interesting. There, there was great. Uh, go, go ahead. Interesting data point. Uh, mm-hmm. When the uh, additional employ- unemployment benefits ran out a few weeks ago, people thought, oh, now all those people who have been avoiding coming back to work are going to come back to work. And they haven't. Uh, mm-hmm. It seems to be. They haven't. And uh, at least in early numbers. And I've seen some people call it this kind of silent strike that uh, low-wage employees in this country particularly, and you see help-wanted signs in every restaurant, everywhere, uh, at least here in Petaluma, are not going back to those jobs because they were crappy jobs to begin with. And Absolutely. Is, do you think that's the case? Yeah. Oh, yeah. D- definitely. Um, I, I mean, I used to, my first job was in high school, and I, I've never d- done a food industry job. I've done a bunch of service jobs, and I was a you know floor guy uh, at Office Max, RIP, and making seven bucks an hour, and generally not being treated well by a lot of customers and stuff like. And that was that was a pretty glossy job compared to people who are behind fryers and everything. Oh, I was behind dishes. it. My so, first job, and for yeah. years I worked at McDonald's as a fry <laughs> cook. Uh, I loved uh, it. I felt like I learned how to work, but you know, when I think back. Mm-hmm. I was making three fifty an hour. Yes, or actually, I think it was two thirty five an hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't but it much. probably went further, right? Than, uh, than well, maybe it did like actually. Wage people, it, yeah. It, I did the calculation yeah. uh, once, and it's more mm-hmm. than the yeah. minimum wage today. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I think that, that's it. Yeah. That's, that's it. How so long we, ago we need to have yeah. the sort of like revolt against uh, against the status quo that we've got right now. Yeah, Speaking I mean that's why I went to college yeah. too. Is that I didn't want to be a <laughs> Work, I didn't want to be a fry cook for the rest of my life, and I wanted to get a, yeah. a better talk, job. Talk to millennials who graduated around 2008, you know? Like, right. Uh, I, I, think I feel a lot sorry of people, for them. A lot of people coming into the workforce now, and certainly uh, of my like demographic, like kind of feeling the the thing we were sold by our parents and by the adults and everything was a complete lie. So it is part of that, too. Like there, there is definitely it's not even so much a silent revolt. Like people are very actively saying all these things. So, yeah, I think we got to pay attention to this. So um, to some degree, I think mm-hmm. that's what's happening at Apple. I don't want to downplay the, the, the very legitimate complaints about uh, mm-hmm. uh, pay equity, uh, harassment and discrimination. Uh, but I think also 
I get the feeling, of course, I'm an old guy, that uh, you millennials just like to bitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, people didn't used to say things. Like, people didn't no, used to No, we put up, up with it. In a way. No, yeah, we totally, put we it. put up with it. You grinned and you bared it, and then that led to decades of, like, institutional exactly. racism and sexism in exactly. Hollywood and elsewhere. Like, the generation that's saying, hey, n- hell no. Not let's us. just, like, let's speak let's up stop and it now. put a stop to some of this. Yeah. I think, sure, it, that is whining, and you want to be a good whiner because things have to change in a certain respect. That's when it comes of, to Apple, though, that, yeah, that's uh, part one of the, thing I want to add. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of good coverage around this. Um, I want to shout out some of the stuff from the New York Times. And I think one big thing they pointed out is that Apple has historically always been a very secretive company, right? The groups were all separate. They couldn't really see what the other folks were doing and they couldn't really interact with each other. But uh, post-pandemic, they joined Slack and the entire workforce was in Slack and they were able to talk with each other and actually start organizing in that way. So Much to Apple's horror. In fact, they shut down the pay equity channel. (laughs) <laughs> yep, and uh, that was oh, no, probably let's not, talk about that. not a very diplomatic or smart thing to do. Yeah, good reporting by Jack Nakis and uh, Kellen Browning in the mm-hmm. New York Times. And yeah, they said yeah. that the the complaint really seems to be as much that this culture of secrecy uh, has caused kind of problems at Apple as a result, and and ends up uh, kind of suppressing any conversations about this on, on the grounds of secrecy. And that maybe I mean, that's all not these the big company, thing. all the tech giants used to be really good at having a code of silence, and it's really broken down in the last few years. Um, Google uh, has had perfect example, you know, much much, raw, much rawer problems, more things that are very specific and very disturbing that have come out. Mm-hmm. Um, these companies all used to have these these big all hands uh, where they shared a lot of stuff, and very little of it got out. These days, now it leaks every time. All, all, every leaks time. every time, yep. and so a lot of them have shut down. Kind of the, the the culture they used to have, where they discuss stuff openly, but it didn't get out. Um, uh, with stuff like social networks, it's much easier now to uh, for employees to speak out. And I, I think in the old days, you know, it would not even occur to you maybe to say negative things about your employer in public on Twitter mm-hmm. or wherever. And now, quite a few people do that. Um, employers hate it when employees compare salaries uh, because it, it ends up being people want to get paid more. And yeah. uh, But at the same time, it's very good for employees to know what people are being paid to make sure there is pay equity and, and to ask for a fair yeah. salary. So I understand both sides of this uh, equation. In fact, this is what Apple apparently did. They They said, no, no, you shouldn't be. And I think culturally... I don't know. I was brought up. I don't know how your parents brought you guys up, but I was brought up not to talk about money and that it would be rude. It would be rude to ask somebody how much you got paid. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it's convenient for the boss, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So one thing that I was impressed, you know, when CNET last year, CNET, when CNET was acquired by Red Ventures um, and Red Ventures is a private company. um, So they they have a little more freedom in the ways that they operate. But one of the things they do is they publish all of the pay bands for every role in the organization. Really? Yeah. So they, and they say, and, and they do this. Kind of like to, the government to, does. You've got pay categories. Yeah. 
Yeah. To put, to put the pressure on managers and HR. So, so this year when we did reviews, there's a lot of people that got really good raises and, and some of them, but that normally would have been amazing in every year. I w- I've done this for 20 years, every year, except this year, people would have said, that's amazing. You know, I got this much of a percentage raise and um, I'm really happy. But what instead is they looked at those pay bands and they're like, Hey, you say I'm doing a great job, but I'm like at the lower, you know, 20% of the pay band. And so what do I need to do, right? To get to where, and that's exactly what it's the reason you publish those pay bands. It's so that to support equity, you know, um, so everyone knows where they sit. So it's not, you know, it doesn't, one, then it's, it's less about people talking or it being this like behind the scenes wrangling you have to do with certain other employees. It's just more of a public thing in the company. And I do think that's good. And I think we've gotten to a a bad place in America with, you know, Peter Drucker was like supposedly the management guru of America, right. For a long time, really created this idea of, of, um, uh, of developing management as a skill, um, and he had always said that the uh, the CEO should never make more than twenty to twenty five x of um, the agree. average worker in the company. I agree. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Today, and and that was about that was in American management that was pretty well stuck to for a long time through the eighties and early nineties. Today, the average CEO to worker pay ratio in the United States is two hundred and ninety nine. <laughs> CEO pay is insane. And that's partly because CEOs have been able to co-opt the board of directors who were supposed to keep a cap on that. Uh, I don't know how how we got in that mess. That's terrible. It is terrible because all of the gains of the past 20 years in, in, um, in, in companies making more money, in growth, in innovation, all of the gains, if you look at it, all of the gains have shifted instead of across the company. They've shifted disproportionately to the top 20% of the company taking all of the gains. That is like an unsustainable, unequitable, um, insanely unfair um, way of distributing the income and the um, the winnings, essentially, of all of the work that's gone on and innovation and productivity gains of the past two decades. It's also uh, a perverse incentive, I think, because a lot of that compensation mm-hmm. comes in the form of stock, which for which incents the management of the company to focus on quarterly results and stock price instead of proper management and proper planning and and, mm-hmm. and long-term thinking. And I think if, if there's a problem uh, with the way uh, corporate governance is, is happening, it's that. It's that the thinking is very short-term. I'm not a finance guy, but that it, it strikes me as that. I'm not an expert in the area. So Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Amazon's responded to this, by the way. It's interesting. With the new CEO, I don't know if it's Andy Jassy doing this or if Jeff Bezos, who's still chairman of the board, is pulling the strings. But Amazon has announced a uh, pay raise. Their now minimum wage for uh, warehouse workers is $18. And furthermore, they're paying for college for these workers, which I think uh, goes – does that go a long way to, to, to making people feel better about how Amazon's treating its warehouse workers? It's, I mean, it uh, helps pay- even people who yeah. don't work at Amazon because uh, uh, other companies that are competing with Amazon in a town have to match that in a lot of cases. So. There are a million yeah. things we can criticize Amazon about in terms of its relationship with its workers. Um, but um, Amazon was like the first big company to go to $15 minimum wage. 
and then others followed and uh, going to 18 will probably help too. Yeah. And they're doing it. They're doing it out of self-interest. They're not doing it. Yeah. You know, they have a kind heart. They're doing it because <laughs> they need to hire enormous numbers of people. And the, the single yeah. best way to hire lots of people is to pay them better. I think um, 150,000 more employees this year is yeah. the, the, the plan. Yeah. I think it's interesting. In they're offering college education because mm-hmm. in a way that's saying, look, we know you guys are going to be replaced by robots in the next few years. So you might want to think about getting upskilling so you can get a better job down the road. But I think that's a very generous thing to do. I like that. Louisville, they, they partially, they did that in Louisville. Louisville is a big Amazon city because of shipping right. the third largest freight airport in the U S and, um, but they did it because they were under pressure from UPS. So UPS has done that for a long time. They ah. pay, you know, it was like minimum 15 and then they pay for you to go, you know, a lot of those are third shift and they pay for all your education when you do great. it. That's great. And so they had to compete in order to be competitive here. They had to compete with UPS. And so I, I think that's one of the reasons they, they did this, uh, not necessarily even them mm-hmm. being ahead of the game. I think they're trying to keep up because a lot of those jobs, increasingly, they're trying to create their own shipping fleet. Um, I remember we talked about this on Twitter about 10 years ago. We said, look, if you look at their bottom line, most of Amazon's costs, the, the fastest growing cost is shipping. So they're going to either buy UPS or they're going to, or FedEx, or they're going to set up their own UPS and FedEx. And it's the latter that they're doing now. Most of these jobs are them essentially mm-hmm. taking shipping under the, um, their own in, in-house, you know, being vertically integrated because they were paying so much to these shipping companies. As Doug M has pointed out in our chat room, $18 an hour still only comes out to $37,440 a year. Yep. I don't know how it is in Louisville, but you couldn't live in this area for thirty-seven thousand dollars a year. It would be yeah, very barely hard. here. Yeah, either. Yeah, yeah. it wouldn't be good. And like, here's the thing: like, the higher pay is also a way for Amazon to kind of deflect from the way they grind down their workers. It's still, too, it's still so. a very hard yeah. job. Yeah, it's still bad. Yeah, and just even look at look at your delivery drivers, folks. Like, if you get Amazon oh, actual Amazon people. trucks in your neighborhood, yeah. they are running. Like my the delivery drivers that come to me once in a while, like. They hop over things on my lawn like they race to get the thing down and then race back because they're being clocked because the the algorithm is watching them. So, sure, they're being paid a little more, um, but it is to basically justify it. that. Yeah. yeah. And they're not – and a lot of those people are not Amazon employees. They're, they work for yeah. very small delivery firms that Amazon helps set up. And even if Amazon does, I mean, try to – impose certain standards on these small delivery companies it's not the same thing as working for amazon and you don't Mm -hmm. necessarily get uh, any of the good stuff that comes with an amazon job well that's our labor segment kids i never thought i'd be covering the labor (laughs) the labor market on twit but it does really impact you have to because uh the products we're buying uh you know are on the backs of the people who are making them and selling them and delivering them and uh and and you know i I feel guilty all the time. I order stuff from Amazon almost every day. In fact, I, my Amazon Echo, somehow I turned on notifications. Every morning it says, you'll be getting a package today. I say, I know. You don't have to tell me that anymore. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> this, this, tell me something I don't know. Uh, so I feel a little guilty uh, about mm-hmm. that. Um, Lisa actually canceled, canceled her Amazon account uh, to, in order to try to shop locally more. Although, if you're buying something from walmart or costco i don't know if that's that much of a difference of buying it's, it locally yeah. or not but it's a different devil she's trying you know? yeah it's a different yeah. devil she's trying 
Uh, mm-hmm. But to this day, she'll say, hey, can you order something for me on Amazon? <laughs> so I, I, it's hard to get out of that cycle. It really is. One good takeaway from this segment, by the way, is everybody should know, by law, you can discuss your salary with your coworkers. So yeah. if your boss yeah. tells you no or tells you not to do that, that is illegal. And it's not uh, impolite. Talk about it. It's not yep. impolite, even though my mom told me it was. <laughs> it's rude to talk about money. She said, Leo, don't ask, don't ask, don't tell. And by the way, it's a good, as long as we're, you know, being good citizens, you don't have to buy a new phone every year. In fact, (laughs) it'd probably be a good thing if you waited a few years before you bought a new phone. Sure. And when you buy a new one, buy the last one. Don't, you don't have to buy the newest one. Get a better deal on the iPhone 12 or something like, or another phone or get it pre-owned. Like there's so many things you could do. You don't have to have rack focus for your three-year-old. Really? You don't. Yep. (laughs) We did a story recently about buying refurbished stuff, which for a lot of people makes total sense. And if you buy a refurb from Apple, you get the same warranty. Um, You get stuff that the only way you can tell it's not new is because the box is a little plainer. Um, So, you know. Uh, for oh, all I, the people that rush that rush out and buy stuff on the, the day it comes out. Uh, oh, man. Probably, yeah. There are even more people where it makes sense not to do that. There is a really good trend. I, when I buy phones these days, I notice um, every time they say, do you have a trade-in? Yeah. And they gave you a fairly decent amount of money. I think from Samsung, I bought the Galaxy Flip 3 and I traded in my Fold. I think seven or 800 bucks. You know, admittedly, it's not the total amount, but it, it, it's a pretty good chunk. Uh, Apple offered a trade in uh, if you and you buy the new uh, iPhone, and that, the reason they can do that is because there's a brisk market in used phones, and a lot of people are buying uh, secondhand phones. It's probably the better, smart thing to do. Absolutely. So, so Refer- re- you can get a surprisingly good deal with refurbs. I bought my wife a refurbed uh, Dell XPS 13 two in one, and. Uh, it somehow ended up with 32 gigabytes of RAM, nice. which is not what I paid for with a nice. $1,200 laptop. So it's like, you know, things happen. Sometimes things are mislabeled. You you could get a fun surprise with your refurb. Have you guys reviewed the yeah. Framework uh, laptop yet? Uh, I think we have looked at it. I haven't touched it, but it's very intriguing. I really love it. I yeah. bought one. Uh, you, you made me think of it because I've been, I usually get an XPS 13. And I got this instead this year. Love it. Uh, I do a review this week on uh, hands-on tech, but I think it's a it's a it's not only is it repairable, but it doesn't feel janky because it's repairable. It feels great. It feels solid. I love the p- mm-hmm. upgrade path to it, and it's 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 a three by two screen, great screen. It's it's my favorite new favorite laptop. So that's encouraging that you can build a repair a repairable device. I'd love to see him do phones, an upgradable device even in a laptop. I think that's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's take a little break. Uh, more to come. We still haven't talked about the uh, any of the, the Apple Watch or I don't know. Do we care? I don't care. We can we could talk about that. There's other things to talk about. It's well. nice. It's nice. Yeah. You work hard for a living, folks. I know you do to earn all that money. You. I hope you're investing it for your future. Can I make a suggestion? Yeah, I know it's fun. The stonk memes and the rocket ships and the diamond hands. But uh, day trading is not a path to wealth. In fact, did you know that uh, decades of data show investors that trade individual stocks underperform the market every year? Under Only 1% of day traders beat the market. I got a recommendation for you. Wealthfront. 
You should open up a Wealthfront investment account today. You, you don't have to pick stocks. You don't have to trade manually. You just go to Wealthfront.com slash twit and start saving now. And through the magic of compounding, you'll be amazed. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have a little fun with your money. But the bulk of your money you should be putting in Wealthfront. Whether you're a beginner or you've been investing for years, Wealthfront makes it easy. They have the right tools for every portfolio. They will work with you to make sure that you have a portfolio that matches your needs, your plans, your time frame, your, how, how comfortable you are with risk or no risk. They can create a portfolio of globally diversified, low-cost index funds personalized for you, and they can do it in minutes. No manual trades, no picking stocks. They handle all the investing based on preferences you control. In fact, they're so sophisticated, they can even do something most day traders don't even know about, tax loss harvesting for the average client. Tax loss harvesting, which lowers the tax you pay as you invest, can cover more than cover the very low 0.25% advisory fee, 0.25%. And this whole thing is completely automatic. It is absolutely what you should do. This is what I tell my kids. This is, this is what you do. We just put a little bit aside from that paycheck and put it in Wealthfront. Trusted with over $20 billion of assets now. And here's a great thing. You can get your first $5,000 managed for free when you go to wealthfront.com slash twit get started with just five hundred dollars it doesn't take much grow your wealth the easy way let wealthfront do the work for you and you'll be amazed you will be amazed you will thank me 20 years from now you'll go wow leo was right to get your first five thousand dollars managed free for life go to wealthfront.com slash twit w-e-a-l-t-h-f-r-o-n-t.com slash twit start growing your savings today it's so important you know it's it's not only, you know, it's not only the millionaires out there. We all got to we all got to do this. Think about the future, plan for the future. And if you can do it in a painless way that grows your wealth in a steady way, that's fantastic. And that's what Wealthfront is. Wealthfront.com slash twit. We thank them so much for their support and for providing a really great product. Uh, let's see. Well, we can move on from the labor talk here. Um, are we back? Sorry, I was day trading some cryptocurrencies. <laughs> my daughter, kidding, my daughter kidding. says, I want to buy Dogecoin. I said, no, you don't. Now she's doing NFTs. Oh, no. <laughs> she's because oh, she's an not artist. Not in this house. She, not in this house. No <laughs> NFTs for you. She's not buying them. Thank God. I told you. I Thank goodness. She says, I'm making them. I'm making okay. some. Yeah, but nice, you know who makes nice. money on NFTs? The people who mint the NFTs. That's mm -hmm. the steady yeah. income. Uh, although the exchanges. Yeah. Although I see that OpenSea is uh, CEO is in a little a little pickle because uh, he has been uh, he's accused of uh, using his insider knowledge to buy NFTs before they go public. Uh, it's I'm shocked. A, a shocked. Nate Chastain purchased NFTs that he knew were going to be displayed prominently. Um, and uh, today, he's been asked to resign. Tuesday, he was been asked to resign from his position. Um, OpenSea is actually one of the best-known NFT exchanges. So, you know, 
Do you ever see Scrooge with um, where um, uh, uh, <laughs> tie this you know, into he, Bill Murray and Scrooge? Oh, go ahead. I do. Yeah, you. Bill Murray, where 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 um, where he's saying like um, you know nobody should be watching or, or this commercial unless you know something uh, you know needs to scare people. They need to be scared not to watch it. And then they get this um, you know report that somebody's like had a heart attack watching the com- the new commercial, and. Um, <laughs> And uh, they they said, you know, the press is on the line. Somebody, you know, just had a heart attack while they were watching the commercial. And he's like, it's probably something she's ate. And he said, he, he said it was probably something ate. He goes, oh. and he said, give me the phone. He says, we at IBC are shocked and appalled at this. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, marketing. That's, they, that's like this he, one. He calls it. He calls it marketing with terror. Right. <laughs> I guess I, <laughs> yeah. I can't play the clip because YouTube will take me down. But uh, I know I, we at IBC are shocked and appalled. Shocked and appalled. Shocked that this is happening. Shocked. Yeah. There's no water in the desert. Shocked. I tell you. Um, actually, the reason I'm worried about YouTube. Did you see what they did to the Ig Nobel Prize? I'm a little peeved about this. I've I love the Ig Nobel prizes. These are the silly science prizes for the silliest research out there. In fact, I, I went through a whole bunch of them uh, on Wednesday. Uh, I can't tell what my favorite is. It might be the research that tries to figure out uh, wh- what the movie's rating should be based on the odor coming off of the people watching the movie. I don't know if they succeeded in that. There's a, there's a decades-long study of cat yowls to see if, I don't know what, to see what they mean, I guess. Anyway, the Ig Nobel Prize show uh, was uh, happened on the 9th. They put it up on YouTube, and they made a little tiny error, and this is why I'm paranoid. They put a 1914 recording, 1914, of Funiculi Funicula, and it got taken down, content ID, it said it got taken down on behalf of uh oh they do the they throw in every name possible SME in grooves on behalf of Emerald Wise Music Group BMG Rights Management LLC UMPG Publishing PEDL Cobalt Music Publishing Warner Chappelle Sony ATV and One Music Rights Society apparently they all owned this recording from 1914, which, by the way, has long gone out of copyright. It's public domain. Yeah. Uh, it's still down. The, the folks who do this at Improbable Research say, we, we've so far been unable to find a human at YouTube who can fix it. So we remind you to watch the identical recording on Vimeo. Thank you. There, there are uh, no con- humans at YouTube. There's no humans. Yeah. Content wow. ID. Um, wow. I mean, there's nothing more to say that we've all, this is the chilling, um, what do they call it? The chilling uh, factor of this kind of thing is uh, now I don't dare put anything, even though we're doing news Mm -hmm. coverage, I don't dare put any uh, copyrighted material on any of our shows because you take it down and it's, it's gone. You know, people can, can just also lob copyright strikes at you for no reason at all. So it's all, it's all really bad. Yeah. It's a mess. It's a mess. I agree. It's it's a complete mess. I've had it before too, where like one and yeah, it's it's 
Oh, nonsensical. Yeah. So I will just leave it to your imagination to hear Bill Murray <laughs> scrooged. We are shocked and shocked and appalled. Just, just imagine. Uh, big story in the Wall Street Journal um, saying that Facebook did its own research and knew that Instagram was toxic to young women. Uh, this was a, researchers in a March 2020 slide presentation posted to Facebook's internal message board, reviewed by the Wall Street Journal, said 32% of teen girls said that when, they, that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. Comparisons on Instagram can change how young women view and describe themselves. Facebook suppressed the findings. Ignored them. And in fact, it said, we're going to create an Instagram for kids. Because what could possibly go wrong? Um, Facebook, of course, denies this. In fact, uh, I can pull up uh, the Facebook post uh, where they say, oh, the Wall Street Journal got it all wrong. But this is very much the Facebook play, play, playbook, isn't it? Absolutely. We at Facebook are shocked, shocked and appalled. Shocked and yep. appalled. Yep. It's, it's back again. Yep. And this is one of a whole bunch of stories the journal did last week on different aspects of uh, troubling yeah. issues involving Facebook, learning stuff about itself and uh, not responding so to it, at least in, in the way that it might have. I have to say the journal never saw a anti-big tech story they didn't love uh, because Rupert Murdoch hates big tech and thinks it, <laughs> it's stealing his, his money. Uh, so, Although these stories felt more like kind of this kind of stuff I expect usually to see from the New York Times in terms of yeah. Uh, yeah. this, yeah. this Same. An ambitious series of articles with all these um, insider documents and stuff. I mean, I, as far as I know, uh, Wall Street Journal's editorial department is pretty independent, and I think they do good work. So I'm not going to, yeah. you know, I'm not going to say their that. opinion pages are another matter. That's absolutely right. Fantastic. There is a there yeah. is a difference between the yeah. two. Uh, and I think that yeah. this was good research. What what should Facebook do if they they know they've got a toxic product, right? I mean, that's pretty clear. We, they can't do anything. I, I think that's the the main takeaway from all these stories is that Facebook keeps yep. seeing and being made aware that it has all these issues and it's hurting societies. Uh, these algorithm changes make uh, you know negative posts more uh, more of a thing that people want to put out there. They take no responsibility ever. They blame society. Um, divisiveness has always been a part of society. Uh, we at Facebook are not, you know, making it more of a thing. It is, it's dismissiveness and it's never like, they never take account for what they are actually, you know, actually responsible for. Uh, Adam Mosseri, um, the head of Instagram, got in trouble for basically <sighs> saying that, well, cars had their downsides, oh, too. Yep. There are also good oh. things about cars. Uh, and so oh. I'm balanced. Yeah, everything. cars kill people, but they get us around. So yeah. you should put up with Facebook. A few teen suicides. Well, you know, it's, it's fine. These things all, happen. All progress. The progress Did, of mobile photos. Yeah. I think uh, Senator yeah. Blumenthal kind of nailed it when he said Facebook seems to be taking a page from the textbook of Big Tobacco, targeting teens with potentially dangerous products while masking the science in public. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, absolutely fair. Absolutely fair. And, you know, the thing is, is they've known it's a toxic product for a long time. Um, it's toxic to society, right? Like we, we saw that. We saw it get manipulated during 2016 elections. 
You know, we've seen it be um, manipulated for, you know, the sort of the we have this double pandemic right now. We have a, the pandemic of COVID-19 and we also have this pandemic of misinformation that is uh, causing a lot of negative impacts on society. And Facebook is the number one um, place that is amplifying misinformation in the world. And so, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Leo. The Friday story is exactly that in the Wall Street Journal. This is a whole week long uh, Facebook files piece in uh, mid March of this year. Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg on Facebook said uh, he wanted to use uh, Facebook's formidable resources to push 50 million people toward COVID 19 vaccines. Inside Facebook, I'm quoting the Wall Street Journal, staffers were warning that Mr. Zuckerberg's own platform uh, was compromising his effort. Facebook researchers warned that comments on vaccine related posts often factual posts of the sort Facebook wanted to promote, were filled with anti-vaccine rhetoric aimed at undermining the message, and Facebook could do nothing about it. Um, you know, I, we, we have this debate a lot on This Week in Google, uh, because on the one hand, I don't want to blame Facebook for all the ills in the world. Those ills would exist with or without sure. Facebook. There's no, there's no question about it. But I do have to say that <laughs> its role in amplifying those ills should it's, be it's not helping. You're yeah. not helping. Yeah. That uh, was one of the few instances where Facebook did sort of have a response, though, which it, I mean, according to Facebook, um, the degree of vaccine hesitancy has dropped by, I think, 50 percent since the start of the year. Uh, that's one of the few actual stats they gave in their defense. Um, so I think they basically said that. Are they the taking credit for intentionally that? Intentionally. Um, <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I guess they're saying it, it could be a lot worse. Uh, oh, good. Has, you know, growing. cars kill people, it, but it could be it a lot dropping. worse. Yeah. Uh, I was also fascinated by the story on how uh, basically um, there's a secret system where famous people uh, can basically put stuff up. And not have it checked to see whether it complies with Facebook's community standards because uh, it gets really controversial if Facebook makes the wrong call initially when they're moderating the stuff, which they do a lot. You mean they're like like, uh, like Nicki Minaj? <laughs> that sort of stuff, yes. Uh, at least um, the general story had some other examples. That, by the way, is the weirdest story of the week. Nicki Minaj, rap star Nicki Minaj posting on Twitter that she wasn't vaccinated yet and was reluctant to do so because her friend of her cousin in Trinidad and Tobago, a friend of a friend, in other words, mm -hmm. in Trinidad and Tobago, got the vaccine and it made his testicles swell and his fiance dumped him a week before their marriage. And so she wasn't going to get the vaccine. Yeah. To which the health <laughs> minister of Trinidad and Tobago responded, we've done extensive checking. We've wasted a lot of time. We can find no one with swollen testicles as a result of the COVID-19 vaccine. Yep. Now, Twitter, Twitter by the way, that down. didn't have anything to say about this. <laughs> so but there, there's a lot of good context around that tweet, at least, about like, hey, this is false. It's you not know, true. It's not true. It's not true. Yeah. And at least... Complete, completely stupid statement, and uh, people are saying it was what because she couldn't make it into the. Uh, the she Met wanted Gala, to go to the I guess. Met Gala, yeah. and she wouldn't get vaccinated. But so. she wouldn't get vaccinated. Yeah, it sounds like the biggest uh, like schoolyard excuse for something <laughs> I you can, know. Ever. It is very Nicki. Yeah. By the way, it's extremely yeah. Nicki Minaj. <laughs> I could just see her saying this. 
It's uh, I, I do love that it it caused a lot of like people to like you know whip up and be like, no, this is completely false. Yeah, yeah at least people are talking about like this <laughs> on, one on, misconception on, is not on, true. On CNN, Sanjay Gupta says vaccine causing swollen testicles not a thing. <laughs> it's, it's it's not a thing. Uh, uh, yeah, COVID does cause impotence. So maybe think about that, folks. Yeah, yeah, that is a thing. Here's the problem. Uh, Nikki Minaj, whether on Facebook or Twitter, has a huge following. Twenty-two yeah. On Twitter, 22.6 million followers. That's a huge megaphone. Are these companies responsible, though? Uh, or is Nicki Minaj responsible? Mm-hmm. I, I think Twitter, the, the, the bird watch stuff, the like, warnings they affix to tweets that are very popular, um, that are completely false to add more context, that's at least something. Uh, I do feel like Twitter has been more proactive about dealing with this stuff. Uh, more Doesn't Facebook, Facebook do stuff like that? Sometimes, yeah. yeah. I'm it not does, on Facebook, so I yeah. don't know. I, and I'm happily not on Facebook, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Um, all, I mean, all these companies are basically rushing to deal with the, the Goliath is the, they, they've built. You know, they don't know how to deal with the fact that... Yeah. These very popular services are, in fact, very popular, and people use them to communicate a lot. And now they can't restrain the amount of bad, uh, bad information out there, and everyone's drowning under it. Good moderation at scale just seems to be pretty much impossible. I mean, yep. in some ways, weirdly, it's the same issue that Apple has, where the, they can't figure out how to uh, reliably decide which app should be in the App Store, so they keep making bad decisions and having to undo them. Uh, when you're dealing with stuff at the scale they do, it's very hard. No matter how, no matter how much it's technology you throw at it and how many people you hire, um, you're never going to get remotely near making the right decision 100% of the time. I mean, I think it's completely possible narrative that this just got away from them, that this isn't what they planned, but now they don't know what to do. <laughs> Facebook's response, by the way, which I sh- to be fair, I should, uh, I should give... Um, a lot has been said about Facebook this week. A series of articles published by the Wall Street Journal is focused on some of the most. This is, by the way, by Nick Clegg. So there you go. Uh, has focused on some of the most difficult issues we grapple with as a company. At the heart of the allegation, a heart of this series is an allegation that's just plain false that Facebook conducts research and then systematically and willfully ignores it if the findings are inconvenient for the company. This impugns the motives and hard work of thousands of researchers, policy experts, and engineers at Facebook who strive to improve the quality of our products and to understand their wider positive and negative impact. With research, any research, there'll be ideas for improvement that are effective to pursue and ideas where the trade-offs against other important considerations are worse than the proposed fix. The fact that not every idea that a researcher raises is acted upon does not mean that Facebook teams are not continually considering a range of different improvements. That's fair. Uh, although Facebook has also moved in other ways to to keep outside researchers from doing their own research. So that's a little suspicious. Uh, you know, when we look back, when we look back on Facebook a, a decade, two decades from now, I think the question I wonder is, will we look at them like the tobacco agency, like, never really took responsibility, mm-hmm. knew that they were doing something bad for people, but they were like, ah, you know, it, they our, our business is built around this. We just, we have to keep staying in business and do our thing and whatever happens, happens. Or do we look at them kind of like TV, 
you know, and radio of like, yeah, some great stuff happened, some really bad stuff happened, but it's more reflection of society. And, and we sort of give TV and radio a pass as like, they're just the platform. They're not the, um, you know, the platforms, not the the message and not the things that people do on it necessarily. Um, we don't blame television for pornography. Um, we don't blame, uh, you know, other platforms similarly. So I, that's kind of what I wonder when we look back, will, will we, treat them more and look at them more like the tobacco industry or more like television. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, television is not just one big company, right. That is that you can like lay everything on. It's it's multiple networks. It's different people involved. Whereas you look at Facebook and just the size of it or Google or even Twitter, like the, the size of these companies is off the charts. It is, it is an entirely new scale that we're dealing with. And to me, yeah, I think the tobacco comparisons are absolutely fair because they are well aware and they've been, there's evidence that there's reports of this going back years, guys, like the move fast and break things mantra, let us hear, this is what they wanted, pure engagement uh, to the point where we become addicted to it and they have no control over what's actually happening. This is what they've always wanted. So, you know, I hope we look back and look at it with clear eyes and i hope like there there is some like action taken towards all this because this stuff is it's not great it's actively hurting society i don't know how many more examples we need to see of facebook looking at the issues and ignoring it outright um they we've seen this so many times and not much has happened to them as a company because of that but it is slowly dying too. like facebook yeah just the it's product age, Facebook. aging out. Yeah, sure. It is sure. aging out, you know, significantly. Now it's probably still has decades. I mean, they're, they're still, yeah. Anyway, it, it's, I, it is aging out. I so. suspect, I don't know, but 20 years from now, it's more likely that we'll say Facebook was part of the problem, but we had bigger problems that Facebook mm-hmm. had nothing to do with. I, I don't think you can blame social media for all our ills. I don't, I think that's a often that is a, a excuse they love to hide behind. Like, yeah, society's always had trouble. Let's forget about our troubles. Look at those troubles. And I like having covered this stuff for so long. Like, I'm going back and looking at my reporting on stuff uh, that Facebook was doing before. Like, things got so bad. And yeah, I, I feel like even a little naive at the way they frame yeah. certain things. So, mm. you know, I've learned you can't, you can't trust these companies because we see what they're building and they have succeeded at what they wanted. You look at the oil industry, you look at the cigarette industry, these, the oil industry, the energy industry has known about the impact of climate change for decades, for almost half a century yeah. now, and like has actively hit it. And now we're facing the consequences of it. And everyone's like, Oh, I, what do we do? If only we had known. Um, but let's not blame the oil yeah. companies. You know, I feel like we're kind of in that situation. Although the difference is the oil companies and the tobacco companies directly benefit from the harm they do. Facebook, oh, yeah. Facebook's success is not based on doing harm. Mm. The, is it? the this reporting, <laughs> Maybe it this is. reporting shows it, it kind those, of is, yeah. It is. Those like Leo, go read these things because the algorithm changes that they've made where they said that they were gonna go make things less divisive actively made things more divisive by rewarding negative uh basically posts that inspired negative comments. Wow. So yeah, 
That's it, a, it is exactly pretty damning indi- yeah. indictment. Yeah. yeah, they do. They get deeper engagement off the negative, more hyperbolic, more um, divisive stuff. And so mm-hmm. they are literally making money off human misery, I think, in the same way or similar ways. Yeah. TV yeah. historically email- was not algorithmically driven. Um, I know the TV today is kind of algorithmically driven, but mm-hmm. I think there's a big difference between it's a, a mass weaker, like that. It's a weaker it is it is. influence cycle, though. I mean, it, yeah. it's not a good uh-huh. feedback. It's a weaker, slower feedback loop. Facebook has an instantaneous, super yes. accurate feedback loop. Face- Facebook yeah. is what Facebook chooses that it is versus TV, where the TV industry had a lot less control over, over what the medium did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so TV did slowly go towards more sensationalistic and it went from Morton Downey to, you know, I mean, it, it got more and more sensationalistic. Mm-hmm. It got trashier. For sure. Trashier yeah. and trashier uh, because it is the fact that we humans love trash. and It's more engaging. <laughs> and so you make more money because more people watch. And there was a feedback loop with TV, but mm-hmm. it feels like uh, modern technologies weaponized that in a unique way with an instantaneous oh, yeah. feedback Bingo. loop. And so it's gone downhill faster and faster and lower and yep. lower. And YouTube's alg- recommendation algorithm is another example of that. And, uh, so, yeah, I guess it's the case that it's just gotten better at doing what we were always doing. Mm-hmm. Going back to yellow journalism and uh, newspapers, they knew what drives sales oh sure you could drive a direct line from that stuff to i mean we've, yeah. there's always been a love for controversy and gossip in reporting too it's human. but straight to fox news straight to social media what makes some of these companies work so can know, the they be they blamed do. Yeah. for do you blame hostess for making twinkies can they be blamed for making something <laughs> if they knew want? twinkies were killing people and influencing elections across the world because <laughs> people were eating twinkies so much but they're just yeah, giving us what them. we want i mean fritos <laughs> yeah. frito lay is making food that we know is killing people that's bad for you, but damn, Fritos are good, yeah. and that's what and those I are want. Also regulated, they're regulated industries, you know. So m- maybe we need to start treating these crazy, you know, uh, information platforms uh, on on a similar level because we're. It's clear the impact they have in society is huge, and we are wholly unprepared for them. This is why I'm worried about the Facebook AR glasses. By the way, like I know you guys talked about those. Yeah. I have a pair. Yeah. I tested them. They're not AR. Terrifying. They're just they're not cameras. AR. They're terrifying though. Just cameras on your face that look exactly <laughs> like normal glasses. Don't they don't have a red light on them? Yeah, put some tape over that. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, put there's a, an algorithm that says that. if you put a tape over it, it'll it'll stop working. You, uh, you, yeah, you you ruin the terms, right? Oh. It's against the terms of the. You're glasses. not allowed to, but you could do it. Yeah. Oh. You you can do it. I don't trust Facebook of all companies to go into that territory, and that's exactly what they're doing. And every time I cover one of these things too, but if it's Oculus or if it's AR. It's also like Facebook is saying, like, we're not going to talk about all that social network mess. We're looking to the future. You know, uh, meanwhile, the future yeah. is built on this mess that they've created. And it's only going to get worse. Do you have them there? Yeah. Do you have them there? You can I have show them. them. Put them on. I want to uh, do I have them? I'm yeah. going to take a break. You can find them while I uh, while I do an ad. There they are. Oh, put them on. Let's see. I want to see how you look. Oh, man. It looks uh, I think what's <laughs> terrifying about them is that they look absolutely normal they weigh exactly the same yeah. you won't know as you're Ray-Bans wearing it. wayfarers you oh yeah know you're wearing they're ray-bans them. yep they're ray-bans they have cameras here that you can barely see uh, i think that's the i wouldn't part. know like you're i you wouldn't, wouldn't know, know. 
You can be part of Men in Black now. You actually look really cool. Did they come with a little red flashy thing when when you got them? You know, like for Men in Black, that would be that would be that would be be cool. But here's the thing: yeah, Facebook teamed up with Ray Ban. There is nowhere on this case that says Facebook. You know, there's nowhere on the packaging. There's a little button that there's a little thing that says Ray Ban Wayfarers, uh, Ray Ban Stories. By Facebook, um, but it's very tiny print. It's got you the Ray-Ban logo things. on it. I see the Ray-Ban logo it, on it. They're Ray-Ban. So this is a, it's a very yeah. surreptitious way of like getting Facebook into other spaces, knowing people hate Facebook. You totally look like you're in the FBI. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Should anybody out in public these days assume that they are being filmed and recorded and photographed? Like I In public, yeah. sure. In public, sure. Now and with the these. The thing is like... Right now with, with smartphones, right, there is like an almost religious gesture. If somebody's holding up their phone horizontally or portrait, like, oh, something's happening. They're taking a photo of something. They're taking a video of something. It is a gesture that, right. that lets you know what's happening. Right. I just, I could say, hey, Facebook, but I don't, I hate that term. Or I could tap the button on these glasses and just start recording. And oh, that can happen at any point. You could be in the bathroom. You could be somewhere that's a little oh, more private. Like, boy. it's gross. Facebook is the worst company to be getting into this. And in five years, like everyone's going to be doing this too. So we can barely manage social media, get used to like, yeah, having everything recorded in first person. Does it forever. automatically upload or do you have to manually upload it? Uh, it syncs to your phone um, and then it syncs to it's an pretty app, manual. Uh, on your phone. Yeah, it's manual. Okay. And then you can like pump it up to wherever. But it's not automatically going to Facebook at least. No. Not yet. I mean, it, Give it two or three. Like, you'll be live streaming from these in two or three versions, oh right? Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. This is why. Like, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Harry, please. It does feel a little bit like there are a number of places where Facebook, at least for this version, intentionally uh, dialed back stuff. Like, the, the videos are only three seconds long. Um, mm-hmm. You do have to very consciously move them off the glasses onto your phone, and then you can move them to, to Facebook, although you can also move them to TikTok or Twitter or whatever. Um, yep. Some of the limitations, though, at least with iOS, are due to things that Apple doesn't let you do. Uh, it would be hard for these things to stream directly to Facebook, and uh, if that changes, I'll be curious to see whether Facebook takes steps that did not do with these initial ones. I, I, I kind of feel like 20 years from now, we'll just look back and say the whole thing was a mess and yeah, set it on fire. We should we should have just burned it when we had the chance. Burn it down. Would you, I know. Yeah, this it is down. fine. Would you, would you say? Fine. Would you? What would you do if you could go back in the past and erase uh, Mark Zuckerberg's computer? Would you do it? You know, or something like just trash all his. Good movie. That'd be a good movie. Yeah. yeah. Terminator. Terminator um, Five. The uh, race to stop Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> I don't want to. It's not just Facebook itself. Um, if you guys remember, yeah. you know this, Leo. Like that era, there were a ton of like proto social networks. There, we were going to get to this space. My worry yeah. is that the company that ended up winning is perhaps the least, uh, you know, fit to understand its power. But maybe that's why they won. The most amoral. That's why they won. The most that's amoral they, company yep. won. Yeah. It's true. That's the story it, it, of Uber. We that's created the story a, of so many of these. A Darwinian. Yeah competition among social networks to make sure that we got the most evil possible. Sure. It's, uh, it's, good. It's, it's, it's interesting that, you know, these new Facebook glasses are really quite similar to Snap's spectacles, which have been out for years. And um, spectacles never generated a huge amount of controversy, I think, because mm-hmm. Snapchat is way less controversial. Right. And it's much less on people's minds that 
Snapchat right. might be pushing the edge of creepy because, in general, <laughs> they haven't pushed that envelope anywhere near as far. They also yeah. look super you know, dorky. Like you could, you wear those things, right. and it looks like you're wearing clown glasses. And I think what's very, what's scary about this is like you wear these, and it looks like you have a nice pair of Ray Bans. End of story. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. You can tell you're wearing the Snapchat spec. I wore those around for a while. Uh, I remember offending <laughs> weight persons. I said, "Wearing the new Snapchat," so and they, they were they didn't want to be on camera. Yep. Yeah. Why uh, Dan Patterson and I? I'm sorry, Leo. Just one. I would just say last thing. You know, in 2018, Dan Patterson, who worked at CBS News, but longtime friend of mine, former colleague, we did a, we did a story in 2018, a video together where we essentially both retired from social media. Um, it was like uh, our retirement episode. Essentially, Dan actually deleted his Facebook and Instagram accounts. I kept mine, but I really very rarely use them anymore, but it had gotten to the point, like it was so bad. And he and I met, so the cool thing was he and I met on social media, you know, like 10 years earlier. And then we were both sort of did this episode together where we like, you know, it's, it's time to leave the circus. Well, that's a perfect uh, example is uh, most of you guys I know through social media or the internet or your blogs or your publications. Um, That's how, I mean, so there's some benefit to this. There's absolutely, absolutely some benefit. There's a yeah. lot of benefit. It's just we, we got to look at the cost, and I think the cost is dramatic, you know? Yeah. yeah. Maybe a little bit different than cigarettes do nothing to make the world a better place. It is exactly. possible to list ways in which social media is a good thing for the world, and the big question is the balance between that and the bad stuff, and if there's a way to get the good stuff with less of the bad stuff. Well, and I think that's what Adam Masseri was trying to say, is that we're not all bad. <laughs> sure, we, we run over people from time to time, but there's other benefits. Yeah, There, there was a good 99% invisible episode on early cars and when cars started hitting streets and people hated them Yeah, because they were killing kids. Yeah. yeah. They were, cars yeah. were just out there killing There people. were laws that said you had to walk yeah. in front of, have somebody with a flag walking in front of your car <laughs> as you go down the street to warn the pedestrians, here comes something yeah very dangerous and thankfully the car industry (laughs) yep now they're regulated but also they have reshaped our society so that we have giant streets that nobody can walk on you know we have freeways uh, clogged with traffic uh it it is hard like is china doing the right thing with their social media they've started to really crack down on consumer tech that seems a little more than draconian. Than, well, what specifically? Because they're, they're cracking down on everything. Yeah. You know? Well, what yeah. they're not cracking yeah. down on is chip design, phone companies, Huawei's not getting cracked down on. But Didi is, and Alibaba is, Alibaba. Uh, WeChat mm-hmm. is, all games. of the so-called, yeah, games. You can only play, if yep. you're under, what is it, right. under 18 or under 13, you can only play games three hours a week, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for one hour. Yeah, there goes China's esports team. Done. No kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've seen what's happened in the U.S. and how what a way that it can shape public opinion, yeah. the way that it can shape the um, course of society. And so, for whatever reason, like this year, they've seen and decided like we're shutting it down before it gets too powerful and and, and perhaps weaponizing it against us. Look at TikTok. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yep. <laughs> so. I have mixed TikTok has done nothing wrong yet, but I, uh, just just wait. Just I wait. have mixed feelings because my son is rapidly becoming a, a, a TikTok star and is going to be able to make is making money on it, and so I have very mixed feelings about this. 
So. It's a, mm. it's a yet another platform to be terrified of uh, for many other reasons, not just yeah. Facebook reasons, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. All right, let's yeah. take a little break. I've been trying to take a break, but you guys are too compelling, too interesting. This conversation is too good. Lots more to talk about. We had a great week this week uh, on the, the network. In fact, we made a little uh, mini movie that I'm going to show you right now. I'll get a TikTok star on with us and uh, that'll round out. The Under the Desk News is very good. Under the Jeff, Desk? do you know who that person Wait, is? No. no. It is excellent. It's journalism on TikTok. Go check it out. Let's all be under the desk now. <laughs> the rest of the show. Right yeah, now, Mr. Burke is cringing. No, Mr. Burke's not cringing. He's he's actually taking a nap under the desk. <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me either. <laughs> Previously on Twit. Twit News. Well, that is the Apple event. And a few surprises, I guess. Yeah. The Apple Watch doesn't look as different as we thought it would, but it's still bigger. We thought that maybe there wouldn't be an, uh, a pro model of the iPhone before it finally did that show scared us a little a bit. bit longer than yeah, we thought. Yeah. It was rumored, but we weren't sure if there'd be an iPad mini. There is, and it looks great. Windows Weekly. Microsoft announced that you will be able to remove your password from your Microsoft account. Get your Microsoft Authenticator and then go passwordless. I think that's the future. I wish we could just do this. Security Now. WFH, which is the new abbreviation for work from home. 91% of the IT people surveyed said they have felt pressured to compromise on security due to the need for business continuity during the COVID-19 pandemic. Twit. It keeps going and going and going. Can I come out now? Yes. What is he doing? You don't have to be under the desk. I automatically moved you all under the desk. Oh, oh I, thought, I thought... He's really under the desk. Oh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, all week long. <laughs> Twig. That Steve Gibson stat was staggering. Oh, yeah. You know, it's funny. I have to... Uh, I do the shows, so I don't have to listen to them. But, man, you don't want to miss anything on these shows. I tell you. Very interesting stuff. Our show today brought to you by Podium. One of the good things to come from this past year. I mean, there's a lot of bad things. But uh, I have to say, life has gotten easier with on-demand options blockbuster movie releases at home awesome curbside pickup from your favorite restaurant love that uh i just did got a checkup from my doctor on zoom with these changes your customers if you're a small business have grown to expect maybe a simpler way a better way of doing business doesn't matter what your product is that's why more than ninety thousand local businesses of all sizes have turned to podium whether you have one location or a thousand, Podium can help you stay ahead with text messaging. See, it turns out we love text messaging. It's the, it's the best way to communicate. It's a great way for businesses to communicate with their customers. Podium makes it easy. They make doing business as easy as sending a text. And because people open text, more business gets done. And your employees will love it because they get a single inbox not a variety of different places they have to check. So that's a great experience for them, which means a better experience for your customers. You can answer questions, support information with a text. You can send a text. In fact, I, it was great. This happened to me the other day. I left a place. I think it was a pizzeria. And they uh, sent me a text as I'm walking out the door. How'd you like your pizza? Leave us a review on Yelp. You can do that or Google or any number of platforms. You can schedule an appointment. The other day, my den as I was leaving the dentist, Text pops up. 
says your appointment is, and I, it's great. I was able to add it to my calendar right from the text message. You can even collect payments with Podium via text. This is a great stat. Uh, a, a dentist in New York City having trouble doing his collections, as one does, had a million dollars in overdue collections, obviously a big dentist. So what did he do? He went to Podium, sent a text payment request. It turned out people weren't avoiding him. They just needed the reminder. Collected $700,000 in just two weeks. 70%. Home service providers are responding faster, winning more jobs in their competition. Why? Because customers will text you saying, I want to bid. They don't leave a voicemail. You, you, you text them back faster. You're way more likely to get the job. Retailers increase revenue by allowing customers to shop via text message. I can go on and on. You need Podium. Today's customers expect on-demand everything, even from local businesses. So stay ahead of the competition with Podium. Free plans for growing businesses, plus all the power a growing business needs to scale. You can start free today at Podium.com slash Twit. That's right, free. Podium.com slash Twit. It's a really great solution. And I see more and more retailers using Podium, and I think it's fantastic. Podium.com slash Twit. We thank them so much for their support. We thank you for your support uh, by using that special address, Podium.com slash Twit. Another interesting uh, story with Google and Apple. Uh, Russia is having uh, its elections right now. Of course, it'll be, guess who? winning. Uh, there's not a lot of opposition, and Russia was able to remove most of the opposition candidates. But uh, the well-known opposition leader, Alexei Navalny, had an app uh, uh, that was on Google and Android, uh, and Google and, or rather, Android and uh, Apple, uh, that helped you find alternative candidates to the party candidates, the United Russia candidates. Um, that app disappeared from Google and Apple, at the request of the Russian government. Now, I understand, you know, you work, uh, you, you do business in a country, you have to adhere to the country's laws. Any thoughts about that? Sh should Google and Apple have us grow a spine, or are they just doing what they have to do? What was the yeah, exact reason they were told? Uh, yeah. Russian authorities say the app is illegal, and <laughs> ah, the counter thought is illegal. Yes. Yeah. And threatened to prosecute. See, one thing totalitarian regimes do now is insist that you have employees in country so that you can threaten to prosecute the local employees. And they're essentially blackmailed into it, it yeah. sounds like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a person familiar with Google's decision said the authorities had named specific individuals who would face prosecution. And Google said, okay, fine. Uh, Google has more than 100 employees uh, in the country. So it, this app was really designed to create a protest uh, vote against Mr. Putin. Mr. Putin, that's what the New York Times calls him. I call him Vladdy. Uh, Vladdy's United Russia Party. Um, Telegram also pulled down the, uh, the channel for Navalny. But it's interesting, they didn't do it until the election started. And 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 Pavel Durov said, look, we don't have much choice because Google or Apple will pull us down. And uh so we just we you know they they are the hundred pound gorillas in this and we just have to hundred pounds. 
What? How? How heavy is the gorilla? Six hundred pound? A lot. Six hundred pounds, I believe. Is that how many? Five hundred? Six hundred? It's big. Eight hundred pounds, maybe. Eight hundred. Eight hundred pounds. Do I hear nine hundred? Did you Google it? Eight hundred pound gorilla in this. Isn't that funny? I don't remember how heavy the gorilla was. A hundred pound gorilla would be like a real lightweight. You punch it in the nose and you move on. <laughs> um, Durov also had a good excuse because he put he actually to to Telegram's credit put off taking the smart voting chatbot down until the elections had begun, and Russia does have an election silence law. At, which is a reasonable law saying you can't campaign once the elections begin. I think we have a similar law in the United States. Yeah. Um, so he, he was not, he, he was at least showed a little spine, but he also said he's following Apple and Google, which quote, dictate the rules of the game to developers like us. But he said the blocking of applications by Apple and Google, by the way, Durov knows he's Russian. In fact, was, was forced. He was the, Mark Zuckerberg of Russia had a Facebook clone that was basically he was forced to sell to the Russian government, left the country and started Telegram. He said the blocking of applications by Apple and Google creates a dangerous precedent that will affect freedom of speech in Russia and around the world. Man. What do you do? All, all I can, what do you do? All I can say is Alexei Navalny is like the most savage dude in the world. Yes, they, they, they have. They've literally tried to poison this guy. They have tried to assassinate him multiple times, and he just will not. He's stop. in the gulag he's, right now, starving. I know, I know. He well, he's on. A, he was on a hunger strike, and then they force fed him. Um, but um, I mean, the dude. The I, I just can't imagine the amount of. Um, you know, spine that he has yeah, no considering kidding. how many things that they, they've tried to do to him. And now I guess he's well known enough that they don't, you know, they sort of don't want a, a martyr syndrome with him. So he's, they're a little bit afraid of him, but I mean, this guy's like their worst nightmare and they, they have to sort of do these kinds of things to, to limit his influence because I, I think they're truly starting to get worried. They wouldn't have done taken an action like this unless they were really concerned, right? And so in one sense, I guess the, the best thing you can say about this is like he continues to to, to agitate and and um, really make a difference and, and growing, I think, some name for himself as opposition leader. And I, I'm really pretty amazed at, at the, yeah, the chutzpah. Well, and, to be, and to, uh, to be fair to the social media, one of the ways Navalny gets the word out, he's got 6 million YouTube subscribers and 2 million Twitter followers. So yeah. he benefits. I mean, this is a, a true benefit mm -hmm. of social media. As Harry was saying, and, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and YouTube is, I believe, relatively uncensored in Russia. But there's a lot of a concern that now that these companies have bowed on these apps uh, that will embolden Putin to uh, lock down stuff that he has not locked down until now. I also think it's interesting that um, there is this one example of a uh, company saying, no, we're, going, we're not going to participate in this. We're going to leave your country. And that's Google and China, which happened years ago. And neither Google nor anybody else has really followed that path in any other instance, even though mm -hmm. Russia is a lot less important to these companies than China is as uh, mm -hmm. a manufacturing base and a customer base. Maybe that's what Apple and Google should do. Just leave Russia. It's not a huge market for them. No. Um, 
On the other hand, it's not their job to solve the world's problems. That's what governments are for. Um, you know, I don't know why the, all the burden is on Google and Apple to fix Russia. Hopefully it's their job not to enable the bad guys to do bad stuff. Exactly. Though. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I think yeah. that's it. And it's, it's a, a lot of big questions that all the tech companies have to think about, too. Think of how they exist in China. I mean, yeah, Google was out of China for a while and then went back. Right. right. And how do these companies all kind of justify themselves? Uh, Apple's workforce in China, too. There were connections to, you know, the Uyghur Muslim workforce, uh, basically indentured slaves that China is gathering in, you know, in Shenzhen so, or Xinjiang. Mm. So there is a lot of stuff that these companies have never had to deal with before. And again, it's sort of like the downside of social media. It's like, oh, we got to ask harder questions now because we've never been in this situation before. More upbeat story. Yep. Did you love uh, inspiration for uh, first time ever for civilians, space tourists, some called them, went into orbit around uh, the Earth thanks to SpaceX. Jared Isaacson, who is a billionaire, created a credit card payment system called shift Four, publicly held company spent we don't know how much something like 50 million dollars for mm -hmm. the ride then gave the other three seats in various ways uh to members of the public one of them is a physician's assistant who works at st jude's this is all a benefit for st jude's in fact they've raised thanks to elon musk's uh last minute contribution of 50 million dollars they've raised 200 million dollars for st jude's children's research hospital um one of the ast astronauts space tourists uh is a 29 year old physician's assistant uh there's also a guy who 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 contributed some money during the super bowl ad and won in the won the golden ticket uh there's also a uh 52-year-old African-American woman who wanted to go into space, was rejected by NASA, but is now uh, now is a three, orb three days worth of orbits uh, astronaut. I guess you can call yourself an astronaut. In fact, it's the closest anybody's been to the moon, the farthest away that anybody's been to Earth since the 70s. Their orbit was even a little bit higher than the International Space Station. I had to say, I, I, I yeah. loved it. I watched the uh, launch I watched the Netflix documentary. I watched the landing last night. I was very relieved when they splashed down on Saturday night. Um, those parachutes opened. They've been that's been tricky. It's not. It is not. You know, it's risky business. Not easy. Not yeah. easy. But they did it. Congratulations, a, a, a billionaire. It sounded a little bit like Gilligan's Island. A physician's <laughs> assistant, a community college professor, and a data engineer. Uh, the stuck first in space, stuck in yeah. space, uh, three day orbit cruise. I don't know. I don't know what the song goes, <laughs> but uh, no, it's really great. They did it. They did it safely. Is it inspiring? More so than the Richard Branson. I agree. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Billion. Absolutely. It still takes billionaires to go to space, but at least uh, some of them were not billionaires. And instead yeah. of just going up and down, they actually orbited the earth. Mm -hmm. So it, and, it seemed like it proved something useful. Yeah. None of them were pros. Yep. No pilot. Uh, I mean, Jared Isaacson has 6,000 hours uh, uh, flight hours, so he's not a complete amateur. In fact, he flies fighter planes. He bought a fleet of fighter planes for his own uh, 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 flight demos, you know, Blue Angels-style 
flight <laughs> show. Maybe maybe we should wonder why billionaires are doing that. I don't know. We're millionaires. Yeah, maybe we don't need so many billionaires, but you know, maybe maybe we don't. It's uh, it's funny. I've been watching, uh, catching up on for for all mankind, the Apple TV Plus show, which. I started originally and just like fell off. It turns out it's a very good show, but you got to watch until like episode three uh, to really understand what it's doing. But man, does that show make it really clear that we we just like gave up on space, didn't yeah. we? We just didn't yeah. try hard enough. And yeah, yeah, yeah. look where we are. Yeah. Well, we're you know, it's interesting because, I mean, NASA is still around and still involved, but the commercial space uh, companies, chiefly SpaceX, but also Blue Origin, um, are actually making progress spacex is making amazing progress it's elon musk is such an interesting character because on the one hand he's nutso and on the other hand he's doing this and he, he's yeah. like he's doing it right he's that capsule is b- both the capsule and the launch uh rockets were reused they're you know pre-owned uh but but he got him back he cleaned them up in fact they're gonna go up again this is a huge I mean, we were throwing away $2 billion Saturn V rockets every time we launched. Yeah. yeah. The fact that he doesn't care what we think and he does these pretty wild out there things is the reason that he can also achieve some of these unprecedented kind of things too, right? It's it's like our best quality, worst quality. All of us have that, you know, often our, our best quality is also our worst quality yeah. too. Yeah. I think that... This is one of those things I think 20 years we do look back and say like 2021 was a moment where we started with this thing with average people going up to space and where these private commercial um, space agencies started doing things that are, uh, you know, essentially pushing humanity forward in some ways that captivated people's imagination. I I think we are going to look back at this pretty favorably, you know, a decade or two from now. I hope so. I hope so. It would be nice to go back to space. At the same time, I think it's a big mistake uh, that these billionaires seem to to share that somehow getting off planet is going to save us. Uh, mm-hmm. We're not going to be living on the moon or Mars. I'm sorry. We need to fix mm-hmm. this planet. We don't. There's there is no plan B. Yeah. E- even though they seem to think so or want it to be so. I think the Bezos thing is more like I, I got to be out there for space industry, right? Like for for whatever that makes sense. We can mine from space. Pulling in sense, asteroids makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Again, yeah the the world is on fire and flooding at the same time, and yeah, we we've got a lot of stuff to deal with first. Elon wants to yeah. move us to Mars. Uh, this this was explicitly that. about becoming a spacefaring culture, society, and uh, and 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 expanding to the planets. I think a little too much science fiction. He thinks we're in a simulation, I think. So, he, you know, everything's worth <laughs> everything's worth a try, including full self-driving that's not on the Tesla. Uh, if you were uh, one of those people who paid $10,000 for full self-driving, good news, here comes the, and I put this in scare quotes every time, full self-driving software, FSD beta 10.0.1, Elon tweeted Thursday night that it will be, it's already been pushed out to a few people, but it'll become more widely available starting September 24th. If you have paid the $10,000, you'll get a beta request button on your screen, on your Tesla. 
If you say yes, press the button, you'll be asked for permission to access your driving behavior using Tesla's insurance calculator. This is software many cars have. Uh, usually it's opt-in. In fact, I think it's always opt-in that insurance mm -hmm. companies can use to assess your driving uh, capabilities. In this case, if your driving behavior is good for seven days, Musk <laughs> tweeted, if you get an A, you can have access to the software. When you request it, it's likely that at that point you're giving the permission yes. to track me it, for seven it days. It will explicitly right? ask for permission. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you did pay $10,000 for this. Who's yeah. going to say, no, yeah. no, I don't want it. Can I have my money back? No. Uh, also, Our features should not work like this. How about that? <laughs> yeah. Th this is insane. <laughs> you're, you're beta testing features on the open road. And people, that's a lot of people think yes. it's, it's actual self-driving. Um, if you're doing this on a closed track somewhere where you can only hurt yourself and other Tesla people, then sure. Fine. Whatever. Uh, wild to me that this can be out in the public. Yeah, because we're, is, you know, whether we, they may have opted in and paid $10,000 yeah. and pushed yep. the beta button, but you and I didn't. And guess who's <laughs> part of the beta? <laughs> I um I have a Tesla Model Y. I didn't buy the $10,000 full self-driving, but I do have the subscription um, basically for the idea that this is likely coming and was going to, you know, test it out. So I, I will hit the button as soon as it's available, 100%. Uh, I'll be I, I, 100%. The moment it pops up, I'm going to hit the button. So wait a minute. Um, so you didn't have to pay $10,000 to be able to subscribe, I thought you did because that's that that ten thousand dollars paid for all the additional hardware, right? You used to. You ah, used to. Now you can just anymore. pay how much? Five hundred a month. You can two hundred a month. Two hundred a month. Okay. Yeah. The deal. All right. And so, so if you get that beta button, you're going to push it for sure. It's 100%. your job. But I yeah. would also assume, Jason, you are smart enough. Not to get in the back seat while your car no. is driving no. uh, into town. Exactly. No, of course not. And and I mean, and look, you know, the 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 underlying um, thing that sometimes gets missed with the um, full self driving features is it also um, enables a lot of active safety features. So if you're driving down the highway and you start to veer out of your lane because you're looking at your phone or you're, you know, getting a drink, um, uh, from your water bottle, you know, the thing one, you can have it so that it automatically, you know, tells you, Hey, get back in your lane, or it will automatically steer you back right. in your lane. And I actually, example, right? I had a model X and I really appreciated that. That, that was autopilot, yeah. what, which also probably aspirationally named, but <laughs> it's really driver assist. And I have it on my exactly. I have very similar driver assist on the on my Ford yeah. uh, Mach E. Mach E. Yeah. You, you yeah. don't need a Tesla for this though. My I have a 2017 Rav4 hybrid, a much much cheaper car than any of these. Uh, it'll push you back into your lane. Yeah. If and and if somebody in front of you for stops, sure. it beeps, beeps, yeah. beeps, wakes you up, and yeah. will it come to a stop too? Uh, if, no, it won't. No. It won't come to a stop. But it, it's another thing too, where it's like, yeah, I, I do realize this thing. Full self driving opens up all these other safety features. It's just the safety feature should be there. They're not adding new hardware anymore to these cars. Like it is, you're paying extra money to to have your life saved. But I guess it's also like buying a higher trim 
for it's certain expensive. cars too, where you get more I could special say, features. It's, you could say well, it's you not know, great. They have to put stuff yeah. in. It's expensive. Uh, I I agree with NHTSA, the National Highway Transportation Safety mm-hmm. Administration, which says don't call it full self driving. Don't call it that. <laughs> yeah. It isn't. Yeah. It's level two at best. Yeah. Um, I'm it's getting. Still level two. I'm in the beta for Blue Cruise. I, it hasn't turned on yet, which is Ford's version of this. They only do it on mapped highways. They don't do it on anywhere else but highways that have been mapped ahead of time. Uh, unlike the Tesla, you don't have to keep your hands on the wheel. It has a Cadillac does this as well. It has a camera, infrared camera, right behind the steering wheel, and it's looking, it's watching to see if you're looking at the road um, or in or in the back seat, <laughs> and it's making sure that you're paying attention even if your hands aren't on the wheel. Um, I don't know. I'll turn it on, but I. But, just as I did with the Model X, I'm uh, keeping my hands on the wheel and yeah. looking around and <laughs> right making on. sure. Well, there was a curve uh, down here and just out of Petaluma into Marin. Every time it tried to plow into the side there. Every time. Oh, so that was with the uh, autopilot. <laughs> could, could you submit feedback uh, to Tesla saying, hey, uh, this almost killed me several mm-hmm. times? I should have. I did not. Uh, I, there's a button you're supposed to do that, right? I don't. Yeah. I never knew the button is for you to survive. Yeah, yeah, I survived. That's true. That's true. Have you seen San, Sandy Monroe did a, a thing on the um, Blue Cruise, and it, 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 he got a test of it. Didn't it didn't go very well? He didn't like it. Oh no, it did not go well. Oh yeah, yeah. Just maybe keep an eye on it. And I, I, I was a Ford owner for a long time um, before. Um, before I, I got a Tesla. So, I mean, I'm rooting for Ford and I, I think I want Ford mm-hmm. and GM and, you know, VW. I want all, to see all of them do well with electric and, you know, um, you know, these higher safety features, self-driving safety features. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm, I'm rooting for all of them for sure. I think Sandy Monroe hates Ford. <laughs> That's all. He used to work at Ford. I know, but he's sure. very but, cranky about the Mach E for some he, reason. <laughs> he is very cranky. Uh, I'll be the judge of that when I get it, and I'll let you know. Uh, uh, right on. Having driven a Model X, not FSD, but autopilot, I will. I will. I love adaptive cruise control. Stopping if a, you know, letting me know that you're about to plow into a car in front of you. Mm-hmm. That's all great. Lane keeping. Yeah. That's all great. I think that's very useful. I never was comfortable sure. with the Tesla's lane changing. It always seemed to be more aggressive than I would be, you know, darting into a lane, even though there's a car coming, things like that. Uh, so I would never use that, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Speaking of Elon Musk being aspirational, we, we published a story over the weekend on his promises of, Tesla robo taxis, based on the idea that yeah. anybody owned a Tesla. He said that would happen in 2020. He said 2019 originally. Oh, 2019. Uh, <laughs> yes, and uh, we're you know we're not remotely close to that. So um, uh, there are these promises he makes where you can kind of discount them because they seem implausible. And then there are the, the things he says about software, which they're really about to deploy on real roads. And it's it's the latter stuff that concerns me more than some of his wild promises. He's probably not nuts. He's just a very aggressive marketer, right? And I think he says those things to also to try to motivate his team of like, once he oh. puts it out there, it's like, oh, crap. We've like, got to do it. Yeah. Now we've got to do it. There's you some know? things um, like full safe driving that are actually really hard. And really hard. The Don't 95% hard. is the, the 95% we've solved for. It's right. this last five that's 
so hard, yeah. so many edge cases, uh-huh. and so many lives at stake. I asked Sam Abul Samet today, you know, when, when are we going to see real level force full self-driving? He said it's at least five to eight years off. And it's been five days. It's always off five years off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not the it's first true. for a long time. Yeah. All right, real I quick think break. Before the end I... of this decade, on on I'm sorry, Leo. I was just going to say, before the end of this decade, I think on highways will be will be most of the way there for before the end of this decade on like city streets and that long time. Yeah, yeah. It's it's you know, a, a lot of this stuff uh, is harder to do than especially the human stuff we do things with our brains like recognize our mothers at the age of six months that are it's really hard to do we just and we just do it and we we think it should be easy to make a computer do it and it turns out there's something else going on there i don't know uh we'll come back we got uh, some quickies and then we'll uh, let you guys go to dinner uh, our episode of uh, twit today brought to you by crowd strike whoo Ransom, the Revil gang is back. Ransomware is a mess. You've seen the headlines. We're always talking about it on Security Now and on all our shows. Ransomware attack after ransomware attack, holding businesses hostage. And if you own a business or if you're in the IT or security for a business, I know it probably feels like it's only a matter of time before, you know, you're next. They come for you and you'll have to make that really tough choice. Do you pay or do you lose everything? Now, hopefully, you'll never have to make that choice. You do have a third option. Defeat your adversaries before the fight even starts. Now, that's easier said than done. But the good news is with CrowdStrike, you're not alone in the battle against ransomware. This is brilliant. They use the wisdom of the crowd to help you fight ransomware. A secure future demands a shared defense That's why CrowdStrike's Falcon platform uses their threat graph power by using advanced AI to analyze the behavior on your devices, servers, your cloud workflows, and everybody else who uses CrowdStrike. A trillion data points a day. Seven trillion a week. That means nothing is happening in the world that CrowdStrike doesn't know about and isn't prepared to handle. Their security platform delivers the industry's most powerful set of tools to fight today's most sophisticated cyber attacks. And it's amazing. It's all delivered via the cloud through a lightweight, intelligent agent. Forrester did a study. They found Falcon Complete delivers 403% ROI. And I will add 100% confidence. Because CrowdStrike is harnessing the power of every click, every action, every click and action by every ally to grow stronger and stop cyber threats before they can stop you. The bad guys aren't sitting still. Your protection needs to be constantly up to date. Falcon Complete stops breaches every hour of every day through expert management, threat hunting, monitoring, and remediation. And by the way, they put their money where their mouth is with CrowdStrike's breach prevention warranty. They guarantee Falcon Complete managed customers will get a warranty covering up to $1 million in the event of a breach. Terms and conditions apply. Actually, I had a great conversation because I was curious, how does this work? How does this work? So I talked to the CTO at CrowdStrike, Michael Sentonis, a couple of weeks ago, and he explained what makes CrowdStrike different and sets them apart from others. 
think what makes us unique is we've always tried to stay true to our mission to stop breaches. And, and it, today it's never been more relevant. Uh, when, when CrowdStrike was founded a decade ago, organizations and governments were being breached and technology that they were using was not protecting them. So our goal was to build the fundamentals that organizations need to defend themselves and to stop breaches. And that is everything that we focus on. We focus on the customer, we focus on stopping breaches, and we make sure that we continually innovate to stay ahead of the threat for the benefit of our customers. It really works. It's like they have feelers everywhere. Gartner Magic Quadrant named CrowdStrike a leader for endpoint protection in 2021. Join the fight. Experience the power of Falcon Platform free today at CrowdStrike dot com slash twit c-r-o-w-d-s-t-r-i-k-e dot com slash twit crowdstrike because what we've built together is worth defending together join the fight crowdstrike.com slash twit we thank them so much for doing such good work and for uh, sponsoring the show we thank you for supporting us by using that address so they know you saw the ad crowdstrike.com slash twit wednesday morning 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern, Microsoft Surface event. Panos Panay will show, presumably, uh, new Surface devices. There's two I'm interested in. We've already seen some leaks that imply that there will be a Surface Pro 8 with a 120 hertz display. That's nice. And finally, Thunderbolt. Thunderbolt 3. Oh, my God. God. It's taken them a while, hasn't it? It's taken them forever and so many weird excuses, yeah. Yeah, well, they for a long time, Microsoft wanted to use their special, you know, connector, which every other PC manufacturer has finally just dumped it in favor of Type-C. Uh, and now, finally, Thunderbolt plus Type-C charging. Dual Thunderbolt yeah. interfaces, according to the leak. It was a Chinese retailer who accidentally published the ad, Uh Hard drives will be SSD and replaceable, which is kind of interesting. That must be a business need. Maybe, you know, you get, you take it out and put a new one in when you get a new employee. I'm not sure. And then the other product I'm interested to see is this Surface Duo. This is that book, the two-screen folding phone, unlike Samsung's foldable screens. Uh, I actually really liked the Duo. I spent 1500 bucks for it last year, sent it back after a couple of weeks because... The software just didn't live up to the promise. Also, yeah. it didn't have a good camera. This time it will have apparently a good camera. Did you play with it? I played with the Duo. I'm really, I mean, I'm excited about that vision for two-handed devices or like a a foldable that's two separate screens uh, just because I feel like that'll be a little more durable than what we're seeing from Samsung and others. But yeah, it's the software is what always comes back to bite you. So I hope they get that right this time. I hope the camera's better. I want to hear about the Surface Neo, which was supposed to be the bigger one. Um, the Windows, the actual Windows 11 or Windows device. I almost um, feel like that's, yeah. they killed it. They I said that they not, were suspending because. work on it. Really? Yep. Yeah. Yes. I remember they that. They didn't. They didn't yeah. say they'd never do it, but they said that they had other mm -hmm. stuff that was more important. Um, yep. It, it makes sense because they're going to make new surfaces and everything. But I look at the new iPad mini and I'm like, oh, that is a cute little if you had two of you know, scribble pad I can keep around. Um, yeah. It would be nice to have something like that Neo-wise. Yeah. yeah. Two of Microsoft them with a has had real Microsoft has had all these interesting ideas for new form factors mm -hmm. going back to the original Surface and has had a lot more trouble sort of with the cadence of upgrading them and always having 
both kind of the table stakes that you expect in a computing device and pushing them forward a little bit each time and doing it on a regular mm-hmm. schedule. But I was more surprised with the Duo having bad software because you'd assume that the software part of, of a device <laughs> like this would be the part where Microsoft would be more likely to have it nailed. But in that case, the, the hardware, except for the camera, was really interesting, and the, the software was just not remotely there when they shipped it. Mm-hmm. I think that Surface yeah. Duo is a look at Apple's first, um, uh, what their votable will be. I think they'll make an iPad mini. The next iPad mini will probably look something like the Surface Duo. I think they'll make something oh, that's foldable that's like yeah. two screens. Yeah, yeah. I, I really, I, I had the uh, Samsung yeah. Galaxy Fold. I hear the new one's better. Um, I bought the Flip this year, and I actually really like the Flip because it's a normal phone that just folds up, so it's small in your pocket, and that makes a lot of sense to me. It does. I, uh, I think though we spent over a decade with smartphones as they are now. Who our thing is that we're always dabbling on our phones, right? right? So a thing that makes that yeah. you have to unfold to actually even do any of that. Um, I wonder maybe for people who are interested in more mindfulness and like being disconnected from their devices, that could be useful. But for me, it's like, that would be just an impediment to how I want to use I my guess phone. The yeah. flip three really is about style. It's, I think yeah. it's for people in skinny jeans. Uh, <laughs> that's <laughs> thicker than a thin smartphone though so no well, that's true no. uh, but it's just it feels like it's something that you would you know i'm kind of a stylish guy and i have a sure. flip phone because everybody else's phone looks exactly like the same slab of black glass as everybody else's it's not yeah there is a rumor phone. that google is working on its own folding phone they call the jumbo jack which is not a good name. <laughs> Please call it Please, that. No. Please just release Please. it as the Jumbo Jack. Let's just call it the Whopper. The Jumbo, the Jumbo Jack. Whopper. It comes with a, a pile of pancakes. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Uh, the, this is actually, there's apparently, according to uh, 9 to 5 Google, some code in Android 12 beta releases that, uh, 12.1, that include a second Pixel foldable. So we know that the Pixel event is coming up probably next month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It'd be interesting if they announced a folding phone. Mm. I don't know. It's like yeah. the iPhone killed flip phones, and flip phones are still sore about it. And they're like, we, "We're going to make one more <laughs> try. We're coming. Do we're going to do this." <laughs> yeah, we're back. Uh, speaking of like all the Surface stuff, by the way, the the Surface Book, the idea of a new Surface Book. Microsoft really needs to do something there because I think the last few ones, they they have been limited by the way the Surface Book was just so weird. That's their like basically MacBook Pro competitor. Um, the Surface mm-hmm. Book was a fully detachable tablet, but the CPU and all the main hardware was behind the screen. So that really limited what they were able well, to do with that machine. I had you know, one, and while. the GPU yeah. was in the keyboard. So when GPU you detached the it, yeah. the computer got very confused. It was a nightmare <laughs> for a long time. They finally, about a year in on the first one, fixed it. So yeah. here's the rumor. Mary Jo Foley and Paul Thorat told me on Wednesday that it won't be detachable anymore. That's the only way they. That's the only way they can fix so it. So what's yeah. the point it of it? Full, it's just a laptop. It has to be a convertible. No, it's going to be a convertible. Like you uh, fold like it the over, ones that kind of twist around. Oh, yeah, okay. which have yeah. their. They have their uses. I love having like being able to like hold the screen up just to be a display or curl around with it. Like if you're watching TV on the couch or something. Like it, it could be useful in those respects. Nobody needs a giant thirteen or fifteen inch <laughs> tablet. I think that's the ultimate thing too. Maybe like that's... that was a device. But that isn't that what the Surface Pro Eight is? Is a thirteen inch tablet. 
with a little flimsy keyboard. Those are they're the the pros are a little smaller, right? They're like twelve inches. Oh, okay. So maybe maybe they'll get bigger though because they get to slim down. Well, that's the, the rumor. So they're going to make I a thirteen. That. No, that's the rumor. But with it's a, just so a thirteen. Yeah, a thirteen inch screen though in the size of like the current uh, Surface Pros, like that's doable. Yeah, you could live with that. And yeah, the iPad Pros go up to what 12, 12. 9, yeah. 12. yeah. 9, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a doable. little big. Would the Surface Book, um, the Surface Book, still have that cool hinge, or are they getting rid of that too? I, I love the hinge, but I think the gap in that hinge was a big. It looks like a freaking a clothespin. Yeah. Like yeah. A big, there's a big where all the dust so gets cool. in. There's a big and hole. stuff gets in. Pens get in. <laughs> stuff in your bag gets in there. Looks like no other laptop. It just creates a bulge in your backpack for but no reason. They sure, know. boy, they sure sold that hinge. Man, they made so many videos. It's a cool hinge. It's yeah. a really cool hinge. Yeah. When you're yeah. when the most exciting feature of your new computer is the hinge, I think you have a problem. Yeah. I was there for the uh, the Surface Book Two launch event in in New York, and they they sure talked a lot about that hinge. Amazing, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> really good. love the hinge. It's not good. It's a good hinge. <laughs> and like, actually, hinges are more important uh, than ever because we're talking about well, folding, folding phones. Devices, they are, yeah. yeah. Phones. You got to have a good hinge. You Samsung that, talks a lot about its hinge. It's yep. new and improved hinge, which basically just has a brush in it to brush out dust before you close mm-hmm. it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh. Um, oh, um, here we are, 2021, and hinges are hinges. the best we've got. Hinges, hinges are back. <laughs> uh, if we could use CRISPR to bring back the woolly mammoth, should we? Hmm. I guess science fiction has taught us nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's a there's a company called Colossal. Which has uh, just got a fifteen million dollar uh, grant to use CRISPR to take existing elephants and turn them back into woolly mammoths. Yeah, what could possibly go wrong? Why no, would don't you? We, we're yeah, we have an elephant uh, population problem. So yes. shouldn't shouldn't the focus be on uh, make more saving elephants. the elephants yeah. and yeah. mutating them? Yeah. yeah, let's make more. <laughs> they want to grow. Uh, so, oh, this is this is totally a sci-fi story. Even the name of the mm-hmm. company, Colossal. Yep. Uh, Colossal <laughs> hopes to develop artificial wombs to grow its mammoth embryos. Uh, they they <laughs> they want to make large-scale herds. Herds, mammoths herds. roaming the earth. Herds. Will they be in amusement parks? Um. I'm trying to find out. I'm looking at the article trying to figure out why. <laughs> That's okay. You'll also need a lot more than $15 million to do that because that is chump change. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The plan isn't to recreate true woolly mammoths, but instead to bring their cold adapted genetic traits, which includes small ears and more body fat, to their elephant cousins, creating a hybrid that can wander the tundra where mammals mammoths haven't been seen for 10,000 years. Um, I guess maybe they're the tundra needs more mammoths. No, we need more elephants. <laughs> we do need more elephants. Let's save more elephants, please. And yeah. Stop yeah. poaching. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is interesting. It's a use of CRISPR, which is kind of interesting. Um, Colossal's plan is not to create a Jurassic Park. By the way, our <laughs> good good thinking. Our uh, focus is on species preservation and protection of biodiversity right now, not on putting them in a zoo. Oh, 
I'll keep We're just going to let them roam wild. Let them yeah. roam the tundra. <laughs> God knows. We need the tundra. But it is a good point that, you know, th- th- there are extinct species where, you know, ecosystems are um, in danger or, or have mm-hmm. um, become uh, less uh, sustainable because of True. even, you know, species that have gone extinct True. in the past two decades. And so if you think of this, you know, the, the woolly mammoth is maybe a flashy thing to get all of us to write about it. But perhaps the, the real use is in bringing back some of these species or helping to repopulate species that because of them losing um, ground in some of these ecosystems are causing serious, serious problems. You know, you think about bees in North America, you think about the um, coral reef in, um, you know, in uh, Australia, you know, perhaps the technology could be used for uh, those kinds of applications in ways that could be, you know, really important and impactful. Although Phoenix in our chat room brings up a very good point. The last thing we need is woolly mammoth farts. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We've got enough problems your show title. <laughs> I, and frankly, that's the only reason I mentioned it. Thank you, guys. You're <laughs> awesome. Perfect. You're awesome. It was so much fun. I love seeing you all. Harry, keep doing the really great. I love your reporting, but the great eclectic stuff you've been doing is also super fun. Technology Thanks, at, at Fast Company. You've always been an antiquarian. You've always had a wide-ranging uh, interest, and I just, I just love it all. So it's always nice. Better an see. antiquarian than an antique. That's right. <laughs> and I hope someday you and Marie can come up in the studio again. We miss you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Give my love to Marie. Uh, Harry's at Fast Company. Anything else you want to plug? Uh, we have a whole bunch of interesting stuff coming up that I'm not quite ready to talk about yet. But check out the website this week. Good. We shall. Also, uh, our innovation festival is coming up. That, that's, oh, that will be streaming, and we're doing some cool stuff for that. Oh, nice. Fastcompany.com. Mr. Jason Heiner is a, is a editorial director at CNET. Anything you'd like to, uh, to plug? As I mentioned earlier, the Made in America series that uh, CNET has done, which explores some of the issues that we talked about in the show that we mentioned earlier, um, you know, uh, doing lots of original reporting, going in depth on stories that, uh, you know, don't always get the top of the headlines. So, uh, that is a big part of what we do. Our um, editor-in-chief, Connie Guillermo, who would be great to have on the show. Um, you know, Connie talks about it as um, just because good. You know, that's why we do it. Hashtag because good is why we do some of these stories and all the other stories that we do that are really important for buying advice and all of that. Uh, give us uh, some of the freedom to to do some of these stories that are just for the good of the audience and to explore some of these really important topics for the future of humanity. Awesome. Made in America, CNET, CNET.com. And uh, would you, uh, Jason, make a note? Let's get Connie on the show. I agree 100%. I'd love to do Beautiful. that. Thank you for that uh, recommendation. Don't forget, Jason Heiner wrote my biography. He's my biographer. He's my Walter <laughs> Isaacson. Uh, I am chapter, what, nine? In follow, chapter, nine. chapter nine, Follow the Geeks. It's still in print, right? It is. <laughs> okay. <Yes. laughs> I might have killed it. I don't know. Follow the Geeks, great book uh, about some of the most, many of the people you know, if you listen to our shows. Uh, also on Audible as well. Yes. Thank you, Jason. It's great to see you. 
Thanks also to Devendra Hardwar. The new podcast is called Just the Filmcast. Yeah, not new. The new the new name for the podcast is the Filmcast at thefilmcast.com. Same old podcast, stuff. brand Same new name. Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but uh you you missed it if you didn't tune in early, but I uh I of course picking up Devinder's brain on uh, movies to watch cuz he is a trusted movie fan and he and I both agree on Pig. Nick, Pig is fantastic. Nicholas Cage's yeah. Uh, latest. Yeah, if you haven't seen it it's really good. How about Shang-Chi? Did you like that? I love Shang-Chi. Um, much better than I expected because of the great Tony Leung. So, yeah, dug it. The, there's so much good stuff right now. A lot of good movies coming. Really like Malignant. That's on HBO Max. Um, and The Green Knight is out for rent if anybody hasn't seen that yet. That movie is um, incredible. See, now I want, I didn't know. It's about Gawain and The Green Knight. It's part of the Arthurian yep. legends. Um, and I love the director. I love the actors. Mm -hmm. I thought, but I thought, is this going to be one of those kind of, you know, quasi romantic medieval? I don't know about romantic, but there is, there's a certain strain to it. There's a strain of surrealism. There's a lot of magic. There's a lot of magic. It's very much an art house movie, I think, but Ah. man, what a gorgeous film. I will watch it. And uh, is Malignant out now? Malignant's on HBO Max. It's streaming. I think they I do that the month-long it. streaming thing. It's a that is a crazy movie, mainly made for people who like B-grade horror movies. So yep. if that that's is my not wife. your style, that's my then, wife in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> that movie avoid spoilers. That movie is one of the craziest things I've seen in a very long time. She says, "Let's watch horror tonight." And yeah, I, yeah, and I go, "Okay, <laughs> if you insist." Uh. <laughs> Devendra's day job, of course, is uh, is working over there at Engadget, where he does a great job as senior editor, covering Thank you. all and we do the, the Engadget stuff. podcast too. All oh yeah, fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's so nice to have you. It's I, all three of you guys. Thank you so much fun. for spending so Good much chat. time with me. I really appreciate it. Always fascinating. My pleasure. We we do Twit every uh, Sunday afternoon, two thirty Pacific, five thirty Eastern. Uh, that's twenty one thirty UTC. You can join us live if you want. We stream it audio and video. <clears throat> At twit.tv slash live, there's actually, that's a link to a bunch of different sources. If you're watching live, chat with us at the uh, chat room, irc.twit.tv, with all the other people watching at the same time. It's one of the reasons we do it live is I love the interactivity. In fact, we have a new way you can participate. If you're a member of Club Twit, we've got a great Discord channel as well. Club Twit is uh, our recent attempt to to see if there's a... Uh, support for Twit, kind of an additional way to support Twit, $7 a month. There are benefits. You get ad-free versions of all of our shows. Since you're paying us, we don't need to pay any, play you any ads. Uh, you also get access to the Discord, which is a lot of fun and features animated GIFs in a fascinating and unique way, plus the Twit Plus feed with bonus content, including conversations that happen before and after the show, our Untitled Linux show, Dicty Bartolo's Giz Fizz, uh, we've our uh, our new Aunt Pruitt. You'll be glad to know, Jason. You you're the guy who introduced me to Aunt. Is our new uh, uh, club? Uh, I don't know. Member coordinator. Uh, he's uh, he's nice. he's putting yeah he's putting together some really interesting club content for us, including I think this week we're going to do an Ask Me Anything. Lisa and I are going to do an AMA on Club Twit. So if you're interested, if you want to know more, go to twit.tv/clubtwit. We would uh, very much appreciate your support. 
after the fact, on-demand versions of our shows with or without ads are available. Uh, Club Twit gets them without ads. Everybody else goes to twit.tv. You can download the shows. There's also a YouTube channel uh, that has every show we've ever done on it. That's a great place to go. Or find yourself a podcast client, a podcatcher, uh, and subscribe there. And if your podcast client supports reviews, would you do me a little favor and leave a five-star review? That would be that would be great. That would help spread the word about This Week in Tech. Now, I think I can safely say the longest-running technology podcast in the world. Nobody's been – has anybody been doing it for since, – since 2005? I don't think so. Now in our 17th year. <laughs> wow. You're definitely the, the one I've been listening to the longest, Leo. Yeah. So, yeah. Who would have thought podcast 17 years for a podcast? That's crazy talk. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Crazy talk. Uh, so so leave a review. Let the there believe it or not, even after 17 years, there's a few people who don't know we exist. Thanks for being here, everybody. We'll see you next time. Another twit. Amazing. Is in the can.